Guys, it's time to decide which world to save. I know we'd like to free all of them, but someone will drag his feet and whine all the way if we don't get the complaints out of the way first. Well, I just don't want to get near those dark photos again. Every time they spin out a monster, they like to slobber all over my hands, and I think that one of them was like my cousin, or at least it was ugly enough. So complain to my uncle, and then complain to my mother if I get into a fight. Anytime I can spend less than four hours being dragged by my mother, is a good day to me. Okay, okay, well, hold off that one. Shall we try fighting the store owners for our goods instead of just accepting their horrible prices? I really feel like a hamburger, 50 cents. Oh gosh, how could I ever live in my neighborhood again if I fought with the owner of the delicatessen? In the first place, he's a massive man whose fist is as big as his, uh, my thigh. And in the second, he remembers the time I found a spider in my cornflakes and never forgave me, so I'd never be able to get the drop on him. Okay. Then let's practice our construction skills. I always wanted to build TV stations and plane manufacturers, and with enough real estate on our side, nothing can stop us. Are you crazy? The last time I laid eyes on a hammer, it slammed on all my fingers just as a lesson. I, I was building without a zoning permit anyway, and the police came up to find me, which was actually perfectly alright because I was getting a divorce and I made the judge take pity with the alimony. But I would just attempt vague, but I would just attract vagrants with my shoddy carpentry anyway. I guess we'll have to take the place where spirits get shoved into inanimate objects. That'll be us, incidentally, since our bodies can't cross between our worlds. Uh, oh no, I'm not becoming a spirit just to have my clean essence shoved into the garbage. That would be just my luck to have somebody put my defenseless spirit into a toilet or a box of expired food. And I'd have to deal with it because what can a spirit do? I, I take the world where my spirit gets shoved into a beautiful woman's body, but I just can't go there today. So I'll have to take whatever used Kleenex or chewed up dog toys I get handed. That reminds me of my father, a great man who couldn't stop sipping through other people's trash, so he kept getting broken toasters in the living room on my birthday. I always wondered why my mother put up with that when she could have had any of the other men in the neighborhood. Wait, where did everyone go? I'm not done reminiscing about my childhood. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're going to see some serious shit. Three, two, one. RPGs from the 1980s right up through yesteryear. Brought to you by the staff of RPGamer.com, we tackle the good, the bad, and the ugly games from nearly 30 years of RPG history. So sit down and hold on tight. Your next adventure is about to begin. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. Welcome to RPG Backtrack, that show where we talk about games from the way back when right up through yesteryear. I'm your host, Phil Willis. I am also your host, Mike Minky. And we have one, count them, one very special guest with us today, Mr. Nathan Schlothen. Um, as always, hello, uh, and it's not really how my name is pronounced, but I've given up on trying to correct Phil. So, hello. <laughs> and you are wise, Nathan. And today, Nathan and I are going to pretend like we know about some games from from our good friends at NIS. We're going to be talking about so, all the non-Diskea games that they made. 
not all of them, but all the ones that are kind of similar that everyone cares about. I like to say, you know, was it Last Rebellion or something that no one cares about? I can't remember the name of that one. Who? Wasn't that also a Hitmaker thing? Uh, probably, yeah. But, uh, yeah, NIS also does some interesting things like, uh, what is it, Criminal Girls? That, that PSP thing. Am I remembering it right? The one where you're... Are we allowed I, to speak about that? I'm, is it an RPG? I'm not... I think it is. So. It's cover of an RPG. It's just, you know, like, I think talk about the game, like, the sensors it on us, so maybe we shouldn't. Uh, uh, well, that, that just means we have to get very creative with how we speak on it. It's not Criminal Girls. It's um, Legally Imperfect. Young women. How's that? Um, you know, I'm just going to be standing over here, a bit away from this conversation. <laughs> See, and this is why we don't want to veer too far from tactical games when we talk about NIS. Mm, looks like there's more dark energy than what you can find in some of their games. Phil, we are perilously close to entering a talk about the denizens of forbidden zones in Japan's gaming industry from which we may never merge, so... Let's steer clear of it. Mm. We, we, don't, we do not want to taint our souls that much. No, no, we don't. So um, we're going to talk for a little bit about that. I suspect that our, our main event might be a little shorter than normal. We'll see how it goes. Uh, we'll also be just talking about some gasp current events that have been given our take on it. Because it's our show, we can even break the rules and go off topic. Um, we're going to uh, – I'll name off the next uh, game in my top ten list as we count down to RPG back track number 100 which is coming out in just a few months oh my gosh that means tonight you'll be naming off number five five four oh that's right five that's right i can't get up so bad i don't even remember what number i'm on four five it's all the same see that's why i'm glad you're here minky you help keep things straight and yet you're the one who works in accounting <laughs> yeah go figure yeah we'll uh we'll do a short blast from the recent past segment today as we talk about bastion uh all that uh some contest uh, your comments and so much more on today's episode of rpg backtrack it's number 96 la Mouquet, phantom world so hold on tight listen to this little ditty we'll be right back our main event today we're going to be talking where we talk about usually a um gosh what's the word i'm looking for a run of not a run of games a series of games uh in our main event we usually talk about series of game or at least part of a series uh today well, this is this is tangentially a series mm-hmm. in that nis has made it a series of tactical games and these are all the games that are not part of that series there you go. all the cousins to this guy right right yeah yeah i mean we all like the disgaea games have, have we done a disgaea Back no, track. that's mostly because Disgaea keeps coming out with new things, and if I scheduled a Disgaea show with one just a few months old, then I think the hue and cry might cause our ears to become blistered even over the internet. Or maybe kind of, not, but but that's my justification. Yeah, same kind of problem with us like, doing an Etrian Odyssey backtrack or something. I kept thinking about that, and then the fourth one came out. Although that's slightly easier because I don't think many people play Etrian Odyssey primarily for its story. What? I could be wrong. Wait, 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 now, now, hold up now. That Etrian Odyssey has a very deep story. 
That Fantasy Four had a relatively fun story, but I don't know about deep. <laughs> well, did you hear about Millennium Girl? Yeah, newest one. Yeah, I did. What story? Okay, the deep stories come to the come to Etrian Odyssey. Etrian Odyssey Untold Millennium Girl coming soon to a handheld near you. Contains two different updated versions of the original Etrian Odyssey. Classic mode features updated 3D graphics and new dungeon layouts, but is more or less unchanged. Story mode, however, uh, is the first for the series. Uh, You have a protagonist and set companions that are not player-created for once. And there uh, there is a narrative structure. Gasp! So there's going to be talk. There's going to be dialogue, yes, and voice acting and mysteries to solve and a millennia girl who's mysterious. Woohoo. And they're tapping the animation studio that Atlas tapped for Persona 4 Golden. How awesome is that? So, yeah, you better... I haven't played Persona 4 Golden, I can't say whether that's good. Yeah, doesn't Index own that studio, though? That's kind of why they're tapping it. Probably. Who knows? Who cares? So, the whole point is, (laughs) hold off on that entry in Odyssey, because, yeah, if we did the backtrack before, it would be, like, all of, like, two minutes because there's no story, but now that we have this to this series, it's going to go on for, like, eight hours. I don't know, we can probably talk about eight hours just about itching off to do this gameplay, but... Yeah, well, probably. <laughs> we can go over how frustrated I get with the... Oh, anyway, so let's move on. Let's... Oh, We're Phil, not... we'll... if we talk about Etrian Odyssey being frustrating, then that just leads into a certain <laughs> other DS old-school dungeon crawler uh... that was even more frustrating. Yeah, that's, so that's let, true. Let's not do that again. No, let's... <laughs> with even a more bare-bones story. Um, no, that's okay. No, 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 we, we, we you know, we, we'll, we, no. No, this isn't the kitchen sink segment, so we'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll table that for discussion. And instead, we're going to talk about La Pucelle first. So we got four games to talk about. We'll start off with La Pucelle. La Pucelle Tactics, developed by Nippon Ichi Software, published in North America by Mastiff. And uh, this was uh, released on the PlayStation 2 and later on the PlayStation Portable. On the PlayStation 2 here in North America on May 4th, 2004. And uh, for the PlayStation Portable, according to notes here, only in Japan, November 26, 2009. I don't know if that ever came out on the PSN store or not. Um, I have the PS2 version, so I never bothered looking to see if it was anywhere else. Anyways, this is a single-player tactical RPG experience. And it says single-player, but you actually get a, a full team of people around. And if you want to make it multiplayer, what you do is you hand around the controller to like seven other dudes in your room like okay you're gonna play that character you're gonna play that character and we're just gonna hand around the controller as we play man that reminds me of anybody play two-player on the old super mario brothers games uh-huh yeah that was well, so much fun waiting for whoever had player one or two to get done so you could play well it's kind of it's one of those three all the sabotaging is you're trying to run as that many games you fight each other and then compete for levels and stuff yeah trying to get the good toad houses trying to make the other guy play through all the hard levels Yes, I actually kind of like that. <laughs> I guess it's you know tangential. So you know, uh, before before we talk about this game in specifically, I'll say that I with the with the whole series. I mean, with these four games as a whole, um, what's really cool is that each one of them um, they look like a Disgaea type of game. You're going to see the grids. You're going to see uh, these hand drawn well, 2D sprites. Well, we should mention with La Pucelle, La Pucelle. I can't pronounce French. I'm not even. Lapuzel. This actually this predates Disgaea. Right, right. And but, it's immediate predecessor to Disgaea. Yeah, but I mean, in in looking at uh, in looking at the screenshots and things like that, they look like a lot. Uh, a, each one of these games looks a lot like a Disgaea, uh, Disgaea game, and and some of them do have some strong. Uh, obviously, they have some strong resemblances, um, and we'll talk about that as we talk about each game. But one thing I like about when we talk about this series is, even though they're not all home runs by any stretch of the imagination. 
combination. Each one does do something significantly different from the Disgaea series, uh, and I think that's just super cool and worth putting out on the table right from the get-go. Um, and, and I'll talk more about that at the end after we talk about all of them. But uh, definitely, guys, as we talk through each of these, I want to highlight uh, some of those differences and some of the risk or some of the things they did that were outside the box with each one of these games. So Lapisil Tactics is a strategy RPG, as are the Disgaea games uh, that it predates. Uh, this one is about a teenage French-named anime-style exorcist demon hunter. Yeah, you get one of those around every game you play, don't you? And the art style is not like that of Disgaea. 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 I'm, I'm just going to... I'm clearly having... Yes, whatever. <laughs> no one cares how you pronounce this. No one knows how to pronounce it. Um, you are on the RPG backtrack where apparently I can't pronounce yeah, people's names. Yeah, but I like to try and have slightly better standards than you, Phil. Why? Are you better than me? Are you saying like you're, you're like you're just too good to be on the same show with me? Maybe because it presents an interesting contrast. Okay. If both of us flub pronunciations at every point, then how can people distinguish us? Oh, that's a good point. Can't argue with that, really. Hmm. Okay. Yes. Uh, La, Puce- La Pucelle has an art style which looks suspiciously like that of Princess Crown in several instances. Everybody remembers Princess Crown. I know Nathan does. Uh, that's like the predecessor to Odin's Sphere, right? Yeah, the one that was on the Saturday in 97 and never came across the ocean and then got a PSP port, which also did not come across the ocean, and has a completely different style of gameplay from this, so all I can say is that the art style is similar and leave it there. Hmm, okay. Um... So, uh, this is, uh, for the, the few people in the world who've never played a Dis, uh, a Disgaea or Disgaea, how, I don't even know how to pronounce that right. Um, Disgaea, I think. Yeah, I, I couldn't tell you. I'm sure I'll get lots of emails. I've had, I've had conversations with a friend and neither of us can decide, so we just pick one and stick with it. Yeah. Um, so, for those few people who haven't played, uh, each of the games in these series are tactical, str- or more like strategy, tactical RPGs. Uh, in each one of these games, you usually play uh, a group of, of characters, and we'll talk a little bit on, on how you get the different groups of characters in each game. It's a little different. Um, but you will be, be swapping uh, turns with a group of enemies. Usually your group will go, and then the enemy's group will go, and you'll go back and forth. And, um, and these games are slow, and they're deliberate, and you'll need to think out the battles. Many of them will have you know puzzle mechanics in them as well as their strategic fighting and and how well you implement that strategy is always important to your success. Uh, another thing that they all have in common for the most part is just about every one of these games give you ways to um, grind up levels and or uh, level up your equipment and or even abuse rules in some circumstances. So if you are not a very strategic player or you're just up against something that sometimes the difficulty curve in these games does spike from chapter to chapter, uh, then you will be happy to know that these games uh, as a whole tend to allow you ways to do lots of grindy grindy, and you will notice uh, you will notice a huge difference in a few levels in most of these games. Uh, enabling you to easily get past some of the battles that may have had you biting your toenails, uh, you know, a few hours earlier. So, and, and that's, uh, yeah, lots of turn-based tactical battle action going on. Do you commonly bite your toenails when difficult situations protect themselves, Phil? No, I usually throw the controller through the monitor or the screen, but I didn't really want to encourage your audience to do that. Biting your toenails is much more productive because at least you get short toenails out of the deal. Yeah, and you managed to get your body into a great stretching mentality because just doing that means that you're very flexible. Right. 
Absolutely. Uh, you know, I used to do that one. I used to be able to take my... I wonder if I can do that now. I'm kind of a lot older now. <laughs> I wonder if I can bring my foot up to my mouth. Uh, nope. Okay. All right. Whew. All right. So, uh, the the young star of uh, La Pucelle Tactics is a hot-tempered girl uh, named Prie, and I'm pretty sure that's how to pronounce it because that's what it says on Wikipedia, and Wikipedia is never incorrect. With matters like this, sure, I'll trust Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, um, so she is a, a demon hunter or an exorcist, and she and her younger brother uh, are, you know, set forth on a on their epic, uh, you know, quest that ends up spanning about ten chapters or so uh, of tactical turn-based awesomeness. Um, and the story proceeds with uh, really cute uh, cutscenes along the way that actually I enjoyed the banter. And uh, and the dialogue going back and forth. I apparently her little brother is named Culot. Oh, which, that's right. Oh, I totally which forgot is a his skirt. name. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Wikipedia just teaches you all kinds of things. I'm looking on Hardcore Gaming, mm. which teaches me other things. Everything about the game, the 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 cutscenes, the the graphics, uh, the banter back and forth is definitely very anime flavored. So if you like Japanese anime in general, uh, not to stereotype, but I am, you're probably going to enjoy you know that portion of this game. If you don't, there are some of my friends who feel that that type of thing is like nails across the chalkboard. That might be enough to not even recommend this game at all because the cutscenes can be lengthy and i don't remember off the top of my head whether or not one could skip over those so and you really well, let's see with this one mastiff translated it and i can't did mastiff translate anything else mm-hmm. i'd never with even heard of them before with almost everything after this nisa did the translation itself but before it had a presence across the ocean uh the original disgaea was um atlas localized and this got Seriously, has Mastiff done anything else? Can we judge Mastiff's translation quality at all? Hmm. Uh, Have you heard of Mastiff before? I I can't. No, I can't say Mastiff comes to mind. Uh, How about you, Nathan? I've never heard of it. Okay, either this game did not... Did not cause the bank vaults to overflow for Mastiff and the company no longer exists, or it switched to something else about which we would pay no attention. Yeah, no. I, merged some other company. So I did find a little note yeah. here that confirms you cannot skip past the cutscenes, and they make it even more fun. And 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 yeah, I kind of remember this now that I'm looking at this. Uh, if you if you die and you have to reload, especially at the beginning of a chapter or something, you get the joy and honor of sitting through that cutscene again. So and it's not skippable. So yeah. Well, we we better hope Mastiff can have a great translation then. Yeah, it is not a game. Not only is it a, it is something to be avoided by people who don't like the typical Japanese anime banter and stuff and cute enemies that look like they're ripped from a kids Japanese anime book. I mean, some of these big enemies really look like the stuffed teddy bears you just want to hug. Um, but uh, it, it is definitely not a fast-paced game. I mean, it's even slower than let's say Duskeia. Uh, when you get into fights the the camera will switch to a side screen mode and you'll see the characters exchange below which is pretty cute and interesting the first dozen times or so um they don't and take how long do these little animations take they don't take too long but the problem is there's so darn many of them because every time you're exchanging you know blows back and forth you're going to get to see more of them and so they add up over time they just significantly you know pad the length of the game and slow things down a bit 
So it wasn't anything that drew me away from the game, but it is worth noting for the less the less patient people out there. Now, people who are used to playing uh, Disgaea games anyways, none of them are super fast-paced games, and this is not going to be a, a serious jump. But if you're used to faster-paced games, this is not the game to start off with. Even though it came before Disgaea, uh, the stories aren't connected or anything like that. It didn't yeah. come before for us. We got it after. This is true. That's right. I played this after after Disgaea. Um, the yeah, but it can definitely be a, a, a bit a bit sluggish. But I, I personally got used to it, and and it wasn't that big of a detractor for me. Um, but well, like see, I said, I, just don't fail the missions, and you might want to grind up a little bit here and there where you can, so that you don't take the risk of failing some of the some of the missions that are right after cutscenes. I feel like I should mention that this takes place in pretty much the same world as the Marl Kingdom games. So for only Rhapsody came out in English, and oh, I'll I'll talk about Rhapsody sometime. It'll make for a very colorful time. But it, the two sequels to Rhapsody did not come out in English, and apparently they were an improvement on that, but they're all set in some uh, French-inspired, vaguely 18th-century-esque world, and La, La Pucelle is set pretty much in the same locale. Hmm, interesting. This game is also basically the introduction to the whole Disgaea multiverse, since I believe you can dive into randomly created de- demon in-worlds into this, in this game, right? Mm. That's one way of grinding. Um, probably, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'll try yeah. Hardcore Gaming is mentioning these things called dark portals, yeah. which have little, there are little squares on the battlefield, and if you don't purify them quickly, they will let enemies out, but you can use their energy to channel big attacks to, towards your more powerful enemies. Which is actually an interesting trade-off, so I can see that being interesting. I mean, I remember I was going oh. back and doing some of my grinding grind by doing some of the previous missions, you know, over again and just leveling people up. But that might have been there, and I just uh, – it's been I, – I did get through. I beat this game, but it was, gosh darn, a while back. <laughs> yeah. It can't be that long. I mean, it only came out nine years ago here. Yeah, or, okay, right? for me, that's a long time, Mike. I can hardly remember what I played last year. <laughs> okay, well, as I was saying, this, the, I'm fairly sure these di- going into the di- demon worlds is a thing in this game. Because I know that because I've heard, you know, that the, unlike the later item worlds from Disgaea, uh-huh. these ones aren't as beatable. They can actually just not be winnable unless you have teleporting items and stuff. But in these, you can go in and fight demon overlords, and that's basically the start of the whole Disgaea cosmos, uh, cosmos that they start with later. Especially since, you know, eventually you can fight and defeat a demon overlord, at which point the Holy Demon Slayer Prior is turned into a demon lord. Oh, jeez. You know, the demons say, you are our lord now because you've, you've killed demons, so you're now a demon lord. And she's like, don't want to do that, and she walks off. However, at that point, you can start recruiting demons to your side, which you couldn't do earlier, mm-hmm. including even late game, the demon lord Baal, which appears you know, in all of Disgaea, all the Disgaea series and many of the other games we'll be talking about tonight. You can actually recruit him. And use him to basically beat up the rest of the, everything in the rest of the game. If you defeated enough demon overlords, Pryor herself becomes a demon overlord. Her friends are like, why are you becoming a demon overlord? And they abandon her, and she's all alone. The end. Mm, that's surprisingly dark, considering the, the <laughs> cheerful aesthetic. <laughs> well, it's played for comedic effect, but it's that's still actually kind of dark, yeah. And that's actually more canonical, since it's overlord Pryor from that ending, who shows up in Disgaea. 
So, I mean, one and one of the things about this guy I mean, people played him before is it offers crazy ways to, you know, to, to level up. And in the Sky games, you can even get to, like, I forget if it's nine nine hundred level 999 or 9,999. <laughs> um, there you go. It's just that crazy. Um, La Pucelle came before it, so it's not quite at that level of craziness but it sounds like you can you can still do all that uh, all that fighting and battling to get yourself crazy levels i mean this is when you're playing this game and i haven't gotten even to the puzzle part of this but it's it's part strategy part rpg and part uh puzzle when it comes to you know the 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 root the the main part of the game which is the the combat you spend most of the time in combat and then you have the cutscenes in between um and and the such but uh your your main gaming also says that you can recruit pretty much every named character in the game if you just purify them several times. Purification is your friend. Get them all in. Ca- gotta catch them all. So rather than kill them, you can make them join you. I mean, the only problem with with probably doing that, I just, I, I don't remember enough about the leveling up mechanics, but uh, you have too many characters, I'd imagine your experience would get kind of, you know, are you really going to keep all those characters leveled up? Yeah, that's always a problem with games with lots of characters and no even experience distribution. Yeah. Um, Phil, I'm sure that out there, maybe on YouTube, maybe not, I'm sure if we just look, we will find people who have done this. Who have leveled up. spended (laughs) thousands of hours on their NIS collection to make sure that everyone inside is a titan capable of smashing the entire game world open. Oh, I'm sure of it. There's if anything like this, there are people who have calculated how long it takes you to truly max that character into Skya, and considering it involves something like I don't know, taking one character, leveling up to the max level, then resetting them until you hit like sixty-five thousand levels, send sacrifice to reincarnation. It, yeah, and I know people have done this. It's pretty crazy. Mm. Never underestimate fans. So, uh... I just don't have the attention span for that anymore. I'm sorry, people. Oh, jeez. So, well, let's explain. Uh, let me explain about the three three main components of the combat system and, and how they work together. So, um, blah, uh, for the most part, this is a strategy, a strategy game. You'll have eight, you know, eight characters on your side. You'll have numerous enemies you have to fight. Um, the turn it's turn based gameplay. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, you're going to move them on a grid based system. Uh, as you take each one of their turns, usually it's your turn. You can pick who you want to move first, and after you move him, you can do an attack action or casting action or the such. Similar to Disgaea, um, you can, once you've told him move forward and attack, you can then opt to resolve that attack immediately. Or what you can do is go ahead and issue some other commands to your uh, some of your other characters in your party, um, so that you can set up combinations attacks by positioning your characters next to each other uh, before they strike. This allows you to do more in, uh, damage um, and uh, attacking them from behind, of course, also helps out higher ground and the such. So, uh, And then there's also elemental uh, affinities that make some of the enemies more vulnerable to certain types of spells. So when you can combine you know, all this you know, together, you definitely got some pretty standard strategy strategy RPG, you know, work going on here. But then it adds to two. The, the next thing that adds to the twist is the Dark Portal, Dark Energy system. Um, so it's kind of similar to Skaya, but it's definitely different. And in all honesty, I actually found this one a little bit more enjoyable, even though it's a precursor. But you'll have um, portals scattered around most of the maps, and they can be purified, uh, which will destroy them, giving you some experience points or whatnot. But they oftentimes are generating trails of, like, Dark Energy around the map of different colors um, which can uh, can have uh, 
some properties uh, on the people they touch or affect. Uh, you can put your characters in the middle of these trails, and it, whenever you move a character and you're just moving, you can tell that character which direction to face. And in doing so, if he's in the middle of a dark energy trail, he actually redirects that that trail in the flow of the energy. Um, and then when if you purify the portal that it's attached to, it's going to damage. I think I think it's pretty much anyone along those lines, unless better yet, if you make a, a rectangle uh, and you surround a bunch of enemies and you purify it, then that invokes a miracle uh, effect which damages uh, all the foes inside of the the square that you just made. It's pretty cool. It's a lot of fun. But if you spend too much time or you try to make things that are too, co- it's it's a great kind of balance because if you make things that are too complicated, which I've done sometimes, I'm trying to make something that's going to wrap all the way around the board and thing and get like every single enemy on the inside it's risk versus reward because if you take too much risk and you string out your characters that far apart before you do the cleansing uh chances are the enemies are going to pick one or two of your characters off before you can get the whole thing finished off and that kind of sucks so that's a big part of it so you got strategy you got puzzles inside of your strategy but at the end of the day this is first and foremost an rpg which means as i mentioned before uh leveling up mechanics being very very um very important there you can bring the best tactics and strategy to the table but you're going to come across if you're just going through straight through every mission the difficulty bumps up at times to where you're going to find enemies that are just absolutely going to kick your butt so you got to go back and you got to grind up and like i said before grind enough and you go back to those battles that were really really difficult before and they just become cheesecake you know cheesecake walk so the strategy helps but ultimately it really rests on your party being within a certain you know level ranges they hit up each encounter and if they're not it doesn't matter if 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 you're the strategy you know expert at chess you're going to get your butt handed to you the, the the enemies aren't exactly that smart they're just coming forward and hitting you but it's just that they can be very very tough when when there are enough levels above you yeah, if they can take you out in one hit and it takes you a dozen hits to take them down, then um, that's the kind of disparity you can't really make up for with strategy. Right. So when you combine some of these elements together, the fact that you do need to go back and grind sometimes, uh, the fact that the cutscenes aren't skippable, uh, the fact that there are those cut animations in the battles, which you know do add up over time as you're going through so many of them, this is a game that definitely requires some patience. But uh, you know what? I enjoyed it uh, a metric ton despite you know despite that. Um, yeah. Do you remember how long you spent with it? You know, in, in all honesty, I didn't spend as long with it as I did Disgaea 1 um, <laughs> in order to beat it anyways. I, I don't uh, – I think uh, Nathan's going to talk here some more about the end game after you beat the game. But for me well, – I see how he did basically. Okay. But. All right. Um, but for me, myself, I just I just played it to beat it and I think I did that under two dozen hours. Um yeah, but I enjoyed really? the yeah I enjoyed the band. I'm again I'm going off of memory here, so I could be really okay. wrong. But uh, I'm, no, that's surprisingly short for that's a that's exactly it. Yeah, well, because Disgaea took me the full forty hours, but Disgaea forced me to go back and do. I felt like was a lot more grinding, and Disgaea had more yeah, chapters. Disgaea overall. and forty hours seems short to me. For me, Disgaea took a lot longer. All of them did. Since you know, you get really into the grinding character building, it takes a lot of time. In those I games. I state when I play Disgaea, um, I stay focused on just a certain group party members mostly the hero characters i didn't have a, i didn't spend a lot of time grinding up a bunch of pre-made you know made characters or monster characters um i just stuck with a core group and every time i hit a brick wall i would go and, and just there was this one board um that you could kill off like 10 people real easy with a gym combo or no they were all grouped together and you just hit them with spells and what i did was i used the judges 
to artificially level those guys up as I gain levels. So I was able to get my party a number of levels in a relatively short period of time. And and that's how I got to scale in under for probably 50 hours. I wouldn't say 40. It's probably between 5 and 50. Uh, but anyways, uh, with, with La Pucelle, I played it after Dis- Disgaea, and I knew it was a predecessor. Again, because it came out after Disgaea here. Right, right. And I remember walking away from it uh, going, gosh, that, that ended pretty quick. I, I, I got through that pretty fast, so I want to say it felt like uh, a couple of dozen hours to me. And, and again, I'm just focusing on getting through the main game. and The, the right. other stuff that Nathan talked about, um, I, I, I didn't explore that. No more than I explored Disgaea's after random dungeon. <laughs> going to item stuff, nah. I, I just dabbled in that item diving a couple of times and figured, nope, that's not worth it. Getting levels is much better. <laughs> Which you get levels and not diving into item world, obviously, but I got a lot more by using my little milking the judges on that one word system. Uh, There's no way quite that uh, efficient to level in La Pucelle, is there? No, I mean, nothing that comes to mind. I, I don't remember the, any particular board that stuck out at me as a milk grind as that one board in, in Disgaea. I think it was Chapter 9. Uh, that one board, I'll, yeah. <laughs> there there wasn't there wasn't uh, obvious cheesecake factories uh, in, in, in La Pucelle that jumps into my head. But you will go back and play. And I mean, a good rule of thumb is after you get through each chapter, just go back and play some of the boards you just beat a couple of times. <laughs> just get a few extra levels underneath the belt. And you probably want to stay focused on one uh, one party as soon as you get a full party that you like together. Because as Nathan indicated earlier, there isn't really a great XP system in place here that's leveling up your other characters while you're playing. There are RPGs like Marvel's Ultimate Alliance where your character's on the bench. Chronicles. Yeah. Oh, oh, that was awesome. Or Ogre Battle, the the remake on the PSP did a great job of that, where you're leveling up the classes instead of the characters, and that was awesome. That still ends up way too grindy for me, but that's yeah. just because there's so many classes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, oh, oh well, we'll talk about... Have we already talked about Ogre Battle, Mike? Actually, no. I, sh- I suppose I should give that... Mac, uh, one day. Mac talked about principally the, only, the original one on Super Nintendo, but not much of the rest... So I guess I'm going to have to schedule an Ogre Battle Tactics Ogre thing. Yeah, that to that list. So the, the graphics... I can share my experiences with the Super Nintendo one. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you could. The the, the, gra- <laughs> the graphics in La Pucelle Tactics did not push the PlayStation 2 any more than the Disgaea graphics did. But I felt like they had a lot of charm to them. Uh, this is just one of those instances where the style of the artwork helps the game to age very well when the... You know, because it didn't involve a lot of realistic 3D graphics. Uh, now, Phil, one criticism that we constantly see from usually people who don't, can't bother to play the games of NIS stuff is that it, it looks like it could have been done on the PS1. Is this accurate? Uh, you know, I've played a number of, of similar PS1 games, and I think like a good reference point would be like Vandal Hearts. Vandal Hearts used 2D sprites on 3D tactical backgrounds, I mean, where you're moving the characters and stuff. And no, this this looks better than Vandal Hearts. Yeah. <laughs> it looks, it. yeah. Or Final yeah, Fantasy Tactics. I think yes. technically it's a little step above Final Fantasy Tactics, though one could argue which style comes off better. Yes, these things, you know, they don't look as impressive as perhaps they could, but at the same time, they actually are really using the capabilities of the PS2, so... It, 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 it's just well-designed art. Uh, it's just it's just cute, cute hand-drawn, painted artwork and stuff. It, well, here's one that I feel compelled to ask after being, after playing an early PS2 game. How are the load times? Hmm, can't say I remember that nine years after the fact. 
<laughs> I mean, so they made they did not make an impression on you one way or another. No, no. But compared to the cutscenes and everything else, I probably wouldn't have noticed if the long times were a little longer than than normal. <laughs> yeah. Darn. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I don't. I don't think they were terribly bad. I mean, usually with tactical games, if it's going to take a little bit longer than normal to load up the battle, that's not a big deal because your battles are going to go fifteen, twenty-five, fifty-five minutes, whatever. So you don't notice the fact that what get on your nerves if, if there's loading times between the actual fight scenes themselves. And a great ba- example of this was uh, when they remade uh, Ogre Battle, uh, or they re- or they ported over. I want to say it was on the 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 PlayStation. Yes, the Play. PlayStation version of Ogre Battle drove me crazy because every time your characters would exchange blows, you would go into the combat mode, which happened frequently on a map. Um, it's similar to the way La Pucelle does, and it goes to that side screen mode. In the PlayStation 1 version of Ogre Battle, there would be a 20-second loading time between... <laughs> yes! Yes! But every fight it out is 20-second load time. Yeah, and if you played the Nintendo version, you know what I'm talking about because your 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 armies meets the enemy our enemies like 80 times on any given map and and it's supposed to just be a quick exchange of blows and get out and instead it says loading and, and my jaw's hitting the ground loading what the hell is it loading and then finally the screen comes up your army exchanges one round of blows with the enemies and, and then they separate like they normally do and then five seconds later loading because they met again and it's time to exchange another round of blow i'm like what the fuck? yeah oh no i i I threw that disc against the wall. It broke into millions of pieces, and then later on, I cried and regretted it when I saw that on eBay. Those discs were going for like ninety bucks a pop. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Ogre Battle on the PlayStation One, boys and girls, do not get it. I mean, there's a number of different ways to experience that classic that doesn't have twenty second loading times on every battle. I'm, I'm a, uh, well, let's see. You, you said about eighty encounters per battle, uh, uh, just as an average. So with twenty seconds per load time, that means we're looking at or more. Oh, what is that? <laughs> that that is about twenty seven minutes of pure load time per fight. Oh, it, it was just the most. It was just asinine. It was, it was terrible. Grab a magazine. And and I think what kind of bothered me is uh, is a lot of the reviews didn't mention it. I'm just like, what are you guys? Are you guys crazy? Especially when you're playing a Nintendo 16-bit game on a 32-bit console. You know that kind of stuff's going to stick out when it works smoothly on the 16-bit console, and now it's stuttering. Were, didn't uh, Square have some issues like that when it ported the Super Nintendo Final Fantasy? Yeah, to the Final Fantasy games from the PlayStation ones are just—they're not the good versions. Same with Chrono Trigger, wasn't it? I don't think I. Well, yeah, I think Chrono Trigger is not too bad, but it's still kind of there. Well, going from no load times to some load times is not the transition. Yeah, it actually kind of really kills a couple scenes here and there, I think. <laughs> yeah, you'd, th- you'd think with all that practice time on CDs over the years, it would have been easy to iron out, but I guess Square just didn't care. And, uh, and also the fact that you know, load times are slower on. It's just they, you can't get around the fact that cartridges load so much faster than an optical drive. It's true, and you would have had to budget the project accordingly if you wanted to make sure that your port was not burdened by load times, and clearly that's not what happened. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a shame that, uh, I mean, Ogre Battle guy be here all day. I love I love the original Ogre Battle. I would love to see that. Yeah, we probably should say this more for an Ogre Battle backtrack. I know. We need an Ogre Battle backtrack. <laughs> Minky. I'm listening. I'm listening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, do you want, you want me to say it some other way? I'm listening. Goodness gracious. See, see did that change the, the words at all? <sighs> okay, so... La Pucelle... 
You seem to have run dry before switching to Ogre Battle now. <laughs> well, yeah, but well, we could talk, um, yeah, Ogre Battle. Yeah, I, was... I think we've basically run dry on that, so. Hey, 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 we could talk about the music. Oh, yeah, there is, there is the PSP version, which we did not get because I think it can't, it was ported once PSP sales were starting to take a dive, and even though NIS is really good about bringing over stuff from its parent company, it didn't do that for this one, sadly. Because I gathered the PSP version uh, improved things a little bit, you know, making it slightly less obvious that this was NIS's first tactical game that had some some qualities that could have been ironed out and apparently were in the later games. Hmm. But your PSP is region free if you really really want to sample that version. Hmm. Hmm. That's true. Well, Good old fashioned, but it would be in Japanese then, right? It would. I'm not sure how much of this core story has changed, though, so you could theoretically use a text file on GameFAQs or something like that and glance from it to the PSP occasionally. Okay. Hmm. Well, um, yeah, I guess that's that's all we for Lapus. I mean, generally, I, I recommend it if you got if you liked, especially if you liked the Disgaea games and the uh, some of the other ones we're about to talk about. Um, for me, it was an easy recommend. It's a, it's a cute short. I mean, cute for a I mean, short I should say by strategy RPG standards, especially. Yeah, I was by surprised at the, at the time you said it took to complete because I I know the reputation of NAS stuff. Pretty much all of them have the reputation of being a grind fest, but only if you really want to get everything. I think this was because, you know, this was kind of the first, you know, the predecessor. I don't know if it's the it was. Do you think it's the first strategy RPG they did? No, I think the Rhapsody was the strategy version. It's original. Like, I don't know. I've heard that, but a strategy game in the sense that it looks kind of like a strategy game, not in the sense that it plays necessarily like one. I don't know. The, the PS1 version of Rhapsody is pretty expensive now, and having played it on DS, I am extremely not eager to sample it any further. <laughs> you can you can find uh, you can find this game easily for under a hundred and twenty dollars. One hundred twenty <laughs> for twenty. <laughs> easily <laughs> under a hundred and twenty dollars. Well, great, Phil. That covers. Yeah. <laughs> I think that covers a lot of games, actually. It does cover a lot of games we talk about in this show. Holy crud. Uh, but you can get it for around 20 or a little bit less, uh, just depending. I see a couple of buy it now is for only twelve uh, ninety plus shipping, so you should be able to get it for $15, $16. What's that? Was that for a complete copy or just a disc? It's showing a picture of the instructions, the disc. Here's one for 22 plus shipping, uh, another one for 17 plus shipping, and it. Yeah, there's some good copies out there. There's one with just the disc only for 10 bucks. Uh, I, I like having that that whole case just in case so <laughs> there you go well you, you can get that absolutely make it so number one hmm. oh, come on. at least try a british accent for that phil <laughs> hmm. so all right so rush out and go and grab that guy well, let's take a look at the next game on our list i believe that is going to be oh you know we're gonna skip and we're gonna go to we're gonna skip the orders a little bit here in case go we to get Mackay somebody kingdom? else yeah we'll go to Makai kingdom Makai kingdom Makai kingdom yeah let's do this that. is gonna be an oddball a little this is just an oddball as a whole in the whole series mm. which well, what, you know is what, a what thing, it star? thing. It, it stars a guy who overlord uh, Zeta. apparently he describes himself as a freaking badass overlord yes this <laughs> Uh, basically, the story behind there's an interesting story behind this game and the fact that originally 
Nippanichi was making a game called Makai Wars, which was a big ambitious game they were planning. Unfortunately, it turned out it was a little too ambitious for the PlayStation 2 hardware to handle, so at the last minute they had to scrap almost everything they were working on and kind of throw together what they could on the, for the PS2 and just, like, at the very last minute throw together some completely random story off the top of their heads that was completely unrelated to most of the work they've been doing so far. The result was I would say that, that, uh, that provides a pretty good rebuttal to anybody who says that NIS doesn't test the capabilities of the console. Yeah, it is. Hmm. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit more about this then. Look at my notes. We were talking about Mikai Kingdom. This was developed, of course, by Nippon Ichi Software, uh, published by Nippon Ichi and Koi. Uh, this is released on the PlayStation 2 and later in Japan on the PlayStation Portable. Here in North America, it came out on the PS2 in July 26, 2005. This is a single-player tactical RPG What's this little... I'm looking at the box art here, and it has in quotes, not... You know, it has, like, a sticker on the front, as if it got, like, you know... Usually where somebody put a quote from a reviewer that says 9 out of 10 stars, the sticker says 9 out of 10 games. That, that's all it says. I'm like, what the... What the... <laughs> that, that is an odd quote. That is very odd. Well, quote. it means that this contains 9 out of the 10 Makai Kingdom games. I think that makes even less sense, but okay. <laughs> I I couldn't tell you. So, so Nathan, have you put any time into this title? Uh, not as not really, sadly, but I do know quite a bit about it. You know, it's it caught my eye a lot, mostly because you know Overlord Z and Scare Two is kind of cool, but. I have to admit, the the story premise of it was uh, definitely caught my eye as well. It was one of the reasons yeah. I I bought it. I just didn't get around to spending a lot of time on it. Yeah, it's like my I can't. This is one of those games like Digital Devil Saga that I just really lament not getting a chance to bu- not buying when I got the chance to. But so, um, it's, oh, let me let me let me start you off by saying this is what the the the, the it, from the official description page. Makai Kingdom is a tactical RPG in which you play as Lord Zeta, who is hell bent on recovering control of the Netherworld. In an effort to build your army, you must imbue inanimate objects and equip them as weapons in a variety of eras, ranging from medieval to futuristic. I mean, that's a hell of a selling point. Yeah, basically, it doesn't even think the whole, you know, the whole reclaiming his netherworld? Yeah, that's the thing about that. He only needs to reclaim his netherworld because he accidentally blew it up. Oh. It's like, basically, the omnipotent book says, Lord Overlord Zeta will, in his foolishness, destroy the world. He's like, stupid book, he burns the book. This naturally destroys the entire world, it's all his fault. And he only manages to hold on by possessing his soul into the book and basically becoming a book. And so he stuck for the rest of the game as a book. And, ever, and there's all of his overlord friends come and laugh at him and he has to beg them to help him out and he's too proud to beg. So it's just basically a bunch of random hijinks as the various overlords come, to, uh, come over to just kind of mess with Zeta. And that's the entire plot until it gets kind of more serious at the end. It's hard to be a freaking badass overlord if you're a book. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so Crispin Freeman's voice acting for this game is pretty hilarious. So, as overall, hmm. Crispin Freeman, yeah, that's a good choice. I can see that. That's too funny. So yes, he's the self-proclaimed badass freaking overlord, and I use that in quotes. Yep. Um. So yeah, like you said. Now by this point, we are into NISA translating stuff for its parent company. So I think we've gotten well into the. The insane phase of the localizations. Yeah, which this game it needs an insane translation because at this one point there's a, a skit in which, over, in which I, it's one of the overlords uses a dead corn god as a puppet for a ventriloquism act. 
Uh, the only way I can see that make, working in a serious manner would be as a horror. That's <laughs> just <laughs> uh, silly. Uh, so, so like you said, Zeta blew up the book, and um, uh, in the process, the Neverworld gets blown up. And in the last ditch effort to save himself, he combines his soul to the uh, to the book itself, the Sacred Tome, uh, where he's pretty much defenseless and alone, and with no Neverworld to call his own. So sad. So true. So, um, yeah, like you said, you know... Well, some... that means... that Doesn't that kind of mean that he is literally the netherworld in a sense? Um, yeah. I don't know. We're, we're getting... I'm getting into a very metaphysical state now. So, um, hmm... I take it from from glancing over some of the notes here that the that the that the story though wasn't exactly deep and super compelling. No. Uh, yeah, like many of the, the the games in the series, you 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 play this mostly for the gameplay. Uh, you can't really fight, so every time you get to a battle, uh, you get to create a party of characters to do that for you. Uh, you do that. Yeah, basically. Oh, go ahead. Um, I guess. It, okay, we're kind of doing this out of order, so I'd say it works a lot like some of the systems from. Phantom Brave, so instead I'll have to describe this game first. Basically, you get to create soldiers by basically putting their souls into random objects lying around, and these objects turn into, affect their stats heavily. Also, you, you get to create a whole lot of army by spending mana, kind of, it's a lot like the Skaya games, like, you accumulate these points called mana as you fight, and you get to spend this mana to get requests granted, and thus these requests are things like creating new characters or upgrading your facilities. Also, basically, you, whenever a battle starts, you just have Zeta in the field. However, at this point, he then summons in allies, and they just drop out of the sky and land down. You get these various allies. However, uh, this more than you can more than just get soldiers. You can also get giant tanks and buildings, which are when you summon a building and lands down and sends out a giant wave of people. Hmm. Uh, amusingly enough, this is all kinds of useful because if you drop a building out of the sky, guess what? It's going to damage things that lands on them. So you can actually use, call down a hospital needs to crush your foes beneath it, its foundation. And then send out a whole army out of the hospital. And all kinds of crazy stuff like that. Or you can throw people into the buildings and have someone pick it up and throw it, like, just like from the Disgaea series. You can throw buildings around. and It's got all the kind of crazy hijinks and weird mechanics from that series just taken up a notch. It's, what, it's so interesting. Yeah, and that's what the series is known for is being able to uh, you know, abuse uh, the systems that are there in order to get the, uh, the max benefit from them. So, um, and it invites you to do that. It welcomes you to think up of ways to abuse it. Yep. So, uh, how many building types do we have here to play around with? Yeah. How, do, you, do you remember how much the, how that works? Uh, what's the question? Oh, we were talking about. Do you know like how many different building types there were? Uh, no, I know that's quite a few, like a dozen at least. Mm -hmm. Okay. That that's bringing SimCity to mind for some reason. Well, and and we're yeah, we'll we'll, we'll uh, we can definitely do some comparison and contrasting to Phantom Brave, which we'll also talk about here in a bit. But uh, with Phantom, uh, so with Phantom Brave, when you confine your soldier, basically you make your PC pop out of a rock or something, they last for a few turns. But here, it pretty much lasts permanently, um, and they'll get uh, stat bonuses or penalties depending on what item you confine them in. Again, very much like Phantom Brave. And uh, but you'll be glad that that you don't have to worry about them disappearing after like three or four rounds, like in Phantom Brave, because some of these stages are pretty large. You'll do a lot of battling on uh, randomly generated battlefields, uh, starting out with just the book each time, Lord Zeta in a book, and uh, that's where you'll invite members to join the party and pop them anywhere you know within his range into the items that are around you, uh, similar to 
uh, La Pucelle, you got uh, you'll get eight characters, and uh, the game is uh, turn based, so you can move any of your characters on your turn in whatever order you want. Uh, you'll probably need to do so. <laughs> you can move in, attack in, move out. Uh, and this one, unlike um, or very much like Phantom Brave, it's it's not confined to a grid. You basically see a circle showing how far your character can move. As long as you don't move all the way to the outside of that circle, you know, to the to the perimeter you can walk up do an attack and then you'll still have some walk left so you can walk back away uh and as such and that kind of plays into your your strategy um so it can, it can also get a little weird sometimes when you're trying to line things up or your characters are like right on top of each other and you're trying to uh to discern one from the other um because uh, and it's really kind of weird because when you're on some of these battlefields, very uh, you know all the, the, when you look at the battlefields, you would never know that that this allow that this the battle system is not grid based and that your characters can roam free, freely because the battlefields look like they're made out of squares. You know they're very much set up like steps. No, no matter it looks just like you know Disgaea does with those eleva- with those solid elevations, making you think that you're about to play a grid based affair. So. So yeah, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. Definitely takes some uh, getting getting used to. So it can kind of get in the once in a while too. Um, let's see here. But yeah, just like you mentioned, you can pick up and throw stuff. Apparently, you can throw your own houses and stuff. But uh, so that's kind of one of the things that you know, a big thing with the Disgaea games that you could even pick up and throw each other. That was always hilarious. Uh, but you can throw pick up and throw any objects on the on the battlefields, including um, the enemies, right? Yeah, as long as uh, neither of you are holding a weapon. So that's a little bit of a pain in the butt. You do have to unequip your weapon. Whole, that whole extra six ounces the dagger weighs prevents me from picking you up? you got to put it away. It's it's in your hand. How can you pick somebody <laughs> up when your hand's full of a dagger? Yeah, that's um, the weird thing this can compared to Scare. By a very, very painful means that involves plunging the dagger in. And, and you know, the guy's being picked. That's just not neighborly. It's not neighborly. Is uh, it neighborly to pick up your neighbor and throw him around? Maybe. Oh, jeez. Okay, people in the forums, please tell us if you have ever had a neighbor do this to you, or if you have done it to a neighbor. Let us know. <laughs> so, I, I, what makes this one really stand a little bit further apart from Phantom Brave? I don't remember Nathan. You can correct me if you remember it differently, but uh, I don't remember Phantom Brave being able to bring in and summon my own vehicles and facilities onto the battlefield. Um, we, I mentioned at the beginning how each one of these games just does something insanely kind of different. And this one allows you to bring facilities, vehicles, uh, and, and the such, even hidden areas, onto the battlefield. Uh, you can um, summon them just like the characters. You can actually have several characters inside of a facility, bring that facility to the battle, and then deploy the characters from that facility. Uh, they'll get a bonus uh, of some kind as long as the building stays in one piece. So if you deploy characters from a command... Do the, buildings, do the buildings break in one go, or do they get damaged first? I think they get damaged. I don't think they break all the time or anything. No, but what's really cool is that enemies uh, can enter your buildings and attempt to take them over. Protect your buildings. <laughs> so protect your buildings. But Home you, invasion! But you can do the same to theirs. And there's all kinds of different buildings from fortresses to factories to, to hospitals and different kinds of shop, shops. Yeah. 
And also, at the same time, just as much like in addition to attacking enemy enemy facilities and such, you also basically you win each stage not by defeating all the enemies, but by earning a certain number of points. So things like robbing everything that isn't nailed down and stealing it and sending it back to your own base panel, and thus you know means both you can use that stuff for your own character creation and also get extra points to winning a map, stuff like that. But wait, there's more. You're saying, Phil, that's great, but that's just not exciting and not enough outside the box for me. Well, on top of that, you got vehicles. And vehicles uh, can be equipped with weapons, accessories, and uh, characters, of course. Someone's got to ride them. And then invite into the battle. When attacked, the vehicle will take the damage before your pilot does. Um, and if the vehicle's destroyed, the pilot will jump out and can continue to fighting. You can hop out so, in the... So what does the vehicle do aside from take damage? Does it give you a longer move range? Does it increase the abilities you have to offer? Does it work like a building in some different way? How does putting me in a tank help? Because it's a badass. stack of points in armor. <laughs> that does make sense. Yeah. I just wanted to know if, if it did anything else. Like, can I use the tank's cannon? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, they, they range from uh, from the mundane, like, motorcycles uh, to uh, to the whacked-out, like, floating heads. Or the giant battleship you should sooner. Mm. And you're going to want to spend some time making these guys powerful, because um, they can be handy. Um, some of the battlefields get really, really huge. There's oftentimes hidden areas that will appear when you destroy this clearly marked key object or enemy that's got this little hanging sign over him and stuff. So, um, yeah... So uh, sometimes doing so, though, brings status effects into the field. You might uncover a hidden area, and ha- and as a result, everyone's hit points are, are cut in half. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, in Disgaea, how some of the colored zones, uh, though, the, the, can have different types of whacked-out effects that totally change, you know, the, the battle or the rules of the battle and the such, depending on how they're stacked. Uh, the, the same can happen uh, for here. They can have – the hidden areas can bring more enemies into play, more facilities, more objects. You just never know what's way for you in these things but it also makes levels much much uh, larger and it can take a while to get from one end to the map uh, to the other um, so you don't have to do them they're usually optional um, but it, the battles in Mekai Kingdom usually just require you to accumulate a certain amount of battle points in order to win um, by destroying enemies and objects on the battlefield so you can quit anytime you've met that that minimum so you don't have to clear out the entire board which is also a little bit different um, but if you want to continue fighting to earn more points you're probably going to want to go ahead and do so um as i mentioned before a lot of these games experience is hugely important so you'll want to get you know extra whatever extra items you can get from those areas the extra xp especially you'll want to destroy pretty much everything you can you can get your hands on Uh, the difficulty curve in this game tends to be even more all over the board than typical Disgaea game i mean you'll be creaming and this is what's my frustration in Disgaea was i'll be going through and creaming stuff and then suddenly next chapter or not sometimes in the middle of a chapter the enemy's level you just ran right into a brick wall right yeah Bam. bam and that was the game's subtle way of telling you to go back and grind <laughs> or alternatively, to find a really creative strategy involving dropping buildings on people's heads or something. Which yeah, which which probably also was... it works better here. Yeah. Um. So, but yes, if um. Uh. But yes, yeah, so if if you can be grinded up a few levels ahead, then that's just gonna help get get you through it even easier. You can uh, you can do uh, randomly generated battles in here. You can have your basically you can make a a character wish. 
to create a free dungeon, uh, which is a randomly generated set of battles that you'll, you'll just milk for XP and, and the such. Um, you can get a ton of experience so that when you return back to the story, the main story mode, uh, you're now much more powerful and can cream enemies. Again, as I kind of said with the last game, make it so easy to blow through stuff that was giving you a hard time, despite the fact that you're using the exact same strategy. Um, even to the point where you, I mean, you, you level enough, and by enough, I don't even mean that much, but if you level enough, you, you, the enemies will be doing zero damage to you, and you'll be wiping them out, multiple of them in one hit or one spell. So, um... So you can decide. You, I like that approach. You can decide to either get really think hard on what you're going to drop buildings on and using your strategies, or you can just grind and get it that way. So graphics are pretty similar to a lot of the other games. Actually, these are closer to the scale. Looking at the the screenshot, and I see printies. Printies are yeah, back, dude. Printies are in this game. That's important. You got to have printies. Yeah, like basically, like every. Every Nippanichi game out since Diskaya, this one has a huge amount of cameos from previous games, so like all of the, the Diskaya main cast shows up as recruitable characters and various other characters, uh, characters from Phantom Brave and so forth. This also marks the very first game in which the kind of recurring character of Asagi ever shows up in the series. Hmm. A, she just shows up here as a post-game character and never really leaves, even though she still is waiting for a game. Mm-hmm. So we have a we have a chance to talk about her with pretty much every NIS game. Yeah, uh, similar sound effects, similar graphics. They don't look quite as cute as some of the some of the things you see in La Pucelle, but uh, very much along the same lines of what you would see in other uh, Disgaea games and other games from Nippon Itchy PlayStation Two era. So, uh, do you guys have any other thoughts about this game? Uh, nothing's coming to mind. I mean, it doesn't deviate. Uh, you know, it's it's. It doesn't deviate that much uh, from the Skaya games or the other games that we're that we're talking about. But that addition of being able to drop the buildings and un- uncover these different areas. Well, with what Nathan told us about the genesis of this game being so rushed after a whole project had to be scrapped, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, and I asked would have just been pulling together whatever works fastest. Right, right. Um, you're not going to find a super great story that's going to pull you through this. This is uh, this is definitely. I would definitely say this. The, the story and the characters do not rate on the scale of uh, Disgaea, where I was really kind of playing through that one to see what was going to kind of happen next. Or La Pucelle, where the the goings back and forth were funny and hilarious, and I wanted to see the rest of them. This one doesn't quite have that pull. It's definitely going to be your desire to make more, you know, powerful combos or bigger buildings with motorcycles and to see what kind of craziness you can get into, which is a huge draw of this series, so don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm not downplaying that. That's an absolute uh, huge, huge draw of the series. And here you'll be able to do it in a different way that you can't do it in any other games. So uh, let's take a look at the prices. Let's see how this one's going. Any early guesses? I'm guessing under $120. 80 bucks, maybe? <laughs> and you would be wrong. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Oh, let's see here. I'm seeing uh, one copy for forty bucks so far. Yeah, better than I thought. That's all. Forty bucks. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Some used. That was apparently brand new, still in the shrink wrap. I got some used copies with the original case and instruction book for about twenty-five. Got yeah, some. I cannot predict these at all. Without the instruction book, uh, fifteen ninety-nine plus shipping, which brings it up to an even twenty-ish. And how much is the PSP port that we didn't get? Oh, can you imagine? I can imagine. 
The question is, will it show up on Half.com? I don't think it's going to show up on Half.com because that would be an import, but I'm sure somebody on eBay. Uh, let's see. PSP, Makai Kingdom. Maybe not. <laughs> uh, let's try if I put the word import. Oh, here we go. Uh, PlayStation Port, import game, Makai Kingdom. No, that's Makai Senkei Diskaya 2. That's not even Makai Kingdom. Oh, uh, here, Desert Kingdom. I can find Desert Kingdom. Yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah, finding... That, that's exactly what we want. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's exactly the same game. Too. You're, you're on your own, listeners, if you want to get this on your PSP and play it in Japanese. But the rest of y'all, just grab it for your PlayStation 2. Which any good RPG backtrack RP gamer has a working PlayStation 2 in their possession and hooked up to their or television you, at all times. Phil, have a backward compatible PS3. That's right. That's really truly hardcore, but yeah, not everyone can be. Up and to those them. things are not cheap now. No, no, they're not. And they're really cool because you can do the aliasing option, which makes them a bit smoother around the jaggies and the such. It's a noticeable difference, especially on games like Final Fantasy 12 and stuff, which absolutely made my eyes bleed when I hooked it up to a plasma TV on uh, the original PlayStation 2. So. All right, well, we're going to take a tiny little break. Uh, this is our halfway point for our main event, and we'll be right back uh, to talk about a couple of more games. So hold on tight.
we've returned and we're ready to talk about Phantom Brave. So we're we're jumping a little bit back now from Akai Kingdom. Uh, Phantom Brave was developed by Nippon Ichi Software, published here in North America by NIS. This was released uh, on August 31st, bleh, August 31st, 2004. Later, it was re-released on the Wii uh, on August 14th, 2009, and it came to the PlayStation Portable, probably through the PSN store, I imagine, on uh, March 8th, 2011. Uh, this that, is that, that also came out on disc. Oh, it also came out on UMD. Hmm. Yep. Oh yeah, here it is, UMD. So this comes to you uh, is a single-player tactical RPG coming to you on a DVD-ROM or a UMD. And uh, this that voice you heard, by the way, is our special guest, Mr. Michael Apps, who's on the show just to talk about Phantom Brave. Because, That's correct. Because, because, just because. Did I play this one? I played like a little bit of it, but you've played a lot more from what I heard. Yeah, and I actually did not play this until the Wii release, so... Oh, good. So you your memory's a lot fresher. Way. If you look at it, you know, in a way, these games aren't being talked about out of order. Ah, well, we still have to talk about... Oh, yeah. We, yeah, that, that other one. Yeah, the other one. <laughs> So, Phantom Brave. Phantom Brave. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about the plot, story, and characters? Yes. Well, I'm suddenly drawing a blank on all the character names, but the basic premise is um, Morona is the main character, and um, her parents at the beginning of the game are killed by monsters of some sort. And I guess their friend, whose name is escaping me at the moment, I should probably pick up, pull up Wikipedia so I have these names on hand, uh, comes back as like a phantom to protect Morona. And that's kind of how the story begins. And um, it's kind of interesting because uh, by this point, I think, you know, after Disgaea, did this come out before or after Disgaea 2? Before, I believe. Before, okay. But after the zaniness of the first Disgaea, this one, I don't want to say it takes a completely serious note, but it's definitely more of a kind of a serious tone than uh, Disgaea, uh, and puts poor Morona through a lot of, well, crap. Um, so, you know, this, you know, the story really struck me originally because I went into this not knowing, a, like, anything about the story, and, um, it, you know, it, um, it's, it's certainly not what you'd, ex- looking at, uh, NIS's full library now, it's certainly not something you'd expect out of them. Um, would, did you play this on its original release? Played it all. Yeah, I played the original, but I didn't grab it right at release. I bought it like a few years later um, when it was on Super Sale for like seven ninety five. Okay, because I imagine other people might have a different perspective, you know, considering this was way earlier in their lifespan and it might not have been such a surprise since they hadn't released all that much at that point. I mean, I definitely got the feeling from my time with it that it was a more serious approach than most of the other games, yes. Yeah, so I definitely like that approach, even though, you know, there's a lot of zany elements about the combat, and, uh, you know, if you look at the trailer for the more recent versions, you know, they advertise, oh, you can do, you know, all the crazy damage, throw lots of things on... You know, all the, all that stuff. But uh, you know, as the story is what really grabbed me about this uh, to begin with. You know, as Morona, you know, goes around uh, fighting these monsters, and I guess in this game world, there's a kind of a, a stigma about people like her that can communicate with phantoms. So, 
she has to go through a lot of trouble and hello. Yeah. Oh, could you hear? It, sound, it sounded like I dropped off or something. For oh a second. no, you're still there. Uh, but yeah, she has to go through a lot of prejudice. And, you know, eventually makes meet some friends. And though I never completed this game uh, because it it takes some difficulty spikes later on, as a lot of the, the earlier games did. Um, you know, the the story is what kind of kept me going until you know I kind of just hit a wall. Unlike uh, Disgaea, where I wasn't so interested in the story and. It was really all about the gameplay there. Um, but maybe we should talk about the gameplay, um, unless you guys have anything to say about the story. Uh, sorry, I never played it. Okay. And I've done enough talking about games I haven't played enough of. So. That's right, you're in the driver's <laughs> yes. seat on this one. Um, Ash is actually the name of the her parents' friends that comes back as a fandom. Uh, so Morona and Ash are the two main characters who have shown up in uh, some other uh, Nipponichi titles. Um, but, you know, this title, I remember when we reviewed the PSP version, I think it was. I seemed to be the only one that really thought anything of this title. So, uh, I, I don't know. Did you like this game, Phil? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it appealed to me the way that the other games in the series did. I, mean, I was yeah. enjoying my time with it. Yeah, there's definitely some issues with the battle system, uh, which we should talk about now. But um, What issues? No, get out. It's a perfect but, game. <laughs> But it does some interesting things. I mean, first of all, obviously, the big draw was that it ditches your traditional grid-based system and is free-roaming. Um, and it kind of kind of has some oddities about how we deploy and develop your units, uh, especially the deploy part. Whereas, um, you know, normally in this type of game, you're just going to, you know, pick some characters to send out, you know, in like Disgaea and, you know, take as much time as you want. But in this, uh, your characters can only be out for a certain amount of time and you have to summon phantoms into different objects littering the battlefield, which... Uh, Give yeah. them certain bonus, certain bonuses and penalties. We were talking about uh, just touching on that briefly in Makai Kingdom, since it yeah. uses a similar mechanic. But in Makai Kingdom, when you summon into an item, that that character is permanent for the rest of the battle. But I understand in Phantom Brave, that's not the case. It is not the case, and so it adds in another layer to the tactical element here where, um, you know, if maybe you're not leveled enough or just have really bad strategy, you can get into a situation where um, all you have left on the battlefield is poor Morona with no one left to summon. And although, you know, she does stay out there, you know, no matter the length of the battle, uh, she doesn't quite pack the punch at, the same amount of punch as your other characters do, so um, kind of, kind of only going to use her as a last resort, I guess. So, so, but now here's a question. So, yes. in, in, I remember you, you. So you have your 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 character list, and you have to summon them into the items around the battlefield and the such. Yes. But what I don't remember because it's been so long since I played it. Let's say those characters start expiring. <laughs> yes. Can I can I summon other characters in my roster into other items? Does that free them up, or am I stuck at that eight limit per battle? Um. Trying to remember, I think um, I think that you like. I don't think you can take your full complete roster of characters into a battle, but I think you can. I think whatever you know, whatever list of characters you have going into that battle, you can summon them all out. If I remember correctly, 
Um, is that what you know? I was kind of mentioning earlier that in most of these games uh, in this series, it's the same thing with the Dis- uh, Disgaea game. Since experience yeah. is not really shared amongst your own team members or anything along those lines, um, right. you, you get you, you just get experience for the, the the players who actually are the characters you know that participated. It makes more sense to focus on a small team in most of the other games. Um, if you want to, you know, level up quickly and get through the game faster, but it's if if you could um, basically, you know, here each character basically has an expiration on them as you summon them. If they're only going to be there for a few rounds, but the battle's going to go on longer than that, it might actually be prudent to have some extra characters leveled up in reserve. If if it doesn't say that that's a hard limit. Right, but I think uh, the if I remember correctly, and obviously it's been a little bit since I played this, but if I remember correctly, it's not quite as stringent in this game where I think um, it might be either all the characters, I think it might just be the, all the characters that participated in a battle gain some amount of like extra experience at the end of a battle or something like that. I, I know there's there's something something extra like that, so that is you know even though you're they're going to be out there for a limited time, there's some other way to, that they also get some experience. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I know. Like with the if I remember correctly, with the Disgaea games, it was if your character can make it back to the portal that you started, you you because you would expedite your team members from the the portal, your starting point in any given uh, board. And if your character, let's say he was getting hurt, if you brought him back to that portal and he jumped back in the portal, then you could you could uh, expedite another character that was on your roster. But if he died on the field of battle, then that basically that slot was permanently used up so that if all eight or ten of your characters you know died that was it game over right um so uh let's see here oh here it is uh you can only in phantom brave uh morona can only bring a limited number of phantoms into battle so it becomes strategically important to ration your forces as you move your way across the map uh, that's right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's kind of important. Let me see if I says find see if I can find anything more on that. Uh, yeah, because because there might not necessarily be like a great supply or the best items to summon phantoms into right where you start. So obviously you're gonna have to move her. She Morona is the one that does all the summoning, and you only have like within her range to do it. So hmm. it, to be strategic about that, you might want to move to like somewhere in the middle of the map close to the enemies maybe there's a better item somewhere you want to move to that'll give one of your characters better bonuses there's there's a lot of a lot just a lot of strategy around that um which definitely separates this game from pretty much all of uh other strategy rpgs well yeah what you're saying sounds like strategy instead of uh if you can't get past then go get stronger for a while (laughs) i i mean it kind of has that too it's got Oh, are you kidding, Mike? That's in every Nippon Ichi game. I mean, I mean, yeah. here, here's, here's how you. So it's a combination, not an either or proposition, well, is what well, you're saying. Here's, here's yeah. how you can look at Nippon Ichi games, okay? It, let's just presume that you, that most players can beat an enemy, an enemy party when they're at equal levels. Now, some players who are able to think about these moving pieces, the puzzles in the game, or are able to think more strategically, can regularly beat enemies that are one, two, or even three levels higher than them. But when they meet an enemy who's four levels, forget it. 
it don't matter how strategic you are or how you figured out the puzzle pieces, you're going to get your rear and kicked more than likely. You're just yeah. going to need to go back and level up. That eventually you're going to hit that wall in these games. And I don't know how much it comes up in Phantom Brave. I just know in every other Nippon Inchi game, it's a wall you hit sooner or later. I don't care how smart yeah. you think you are, you will have to go and grind. <laughs> yeah, like I, I would say the later two Disgaea games have more strategy to them and more of a better curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, but even in those, you're still going to have to, you're going to hit some point where you need to do a bit of grinding. And I'd say you hit that at this point here too, although... Since this kind of has more complicated mechanics working behind it, sometimes it could just be not fully understanding that. So I may have just been bad at this game, but yeah, you're gonna you're gonna run into some some required grinding here too. But there is definitely more strategy to this, despite that. You know, and it's uh, sometimes in these games, it almost feels like they hit they put that wall in there just to force you to grind because apparently they think that's what everyone wants. Yeah, absolutely. I love grinding. (laughs) Well, as we all know, grinding means that you can take your guy who wasn't able to win and get him stronger so that you can go, look, his numbers are bigger now. Ooh, bigger numbers. And there are people who who think the world of raising those numbers. Well, I mean, all you have to do is just look at games like... We were talking about this, and World of Warcraft is so freaking hilarious because, I mean, every expansion basically adds on more levels so you can get... Ooh, bigger numbers. And now, you know, the, the hit points of the bosses uh, are now in the millions. I mean, <laughs> how much longer before we have billions of hit points? And my my attacks Ugh. do, you know, six digits of damage sometimes. It, it's, it's, yeah. Oh, but it's but even it's, more thrilling if the boss has five billion hit points and you're doing 600 damage with each attack. Right, <laughs> right. Wouldn't that's, that be great? Because this uh, means you're getting more, bu- more bang for your buck. Yeah. Your dollars are buying you lots of playtime. That's exactly what it kind of boils down to. It's that it's that it's that number inflation that's inherent to um, a lot of RPGs. Leveling up doesn't, and that's you know this kind of goes into game design theory and such. But uh, yeah, an RPG, in my opinion, should do much more than inflate numbers. It should the battles should you should be getting more skills as well as the enemies are getting different attacks, so that yeah. the games have to become deeper and more, and you have to be more strategic on your approach. Uh, I I don't know if that always happens in this particular you know instance though well what's interesting about this game is in addition to obviously strategy on the battlefield there's also some elements to managing morona's island and the characters there because interestingly um the characters you create are aren't just you know like your usual battle characters some of the characters you create can be people that can create random dungeons you can create merchants uh you can create a healer that you know will function like the hospital in the Disgaea games and heal your characters and items after a battle. Uh-huh. Uh, things like that. And there's also an element of merging items and characters to, you know, power things up. So there's a, there's a lot to do outside of battle as well. And I think... Um, and that's, in my opinion, uh, apps, and you can, since you played through this whole game, you can kind of uh, kind of like give me a, a point or a counterpoint on this. In the right. Disgaea games and the such, I really felt that... Instead of the games really, you know, getting a lot of different skills that made the games more, you know, made the strategy deeper, instead it just felt like as I was getting through each chapter, I was opening up new options like this chapter now, I can now go into item world. And now this chapter, I can get the judges to vote to do different things to the battlefield. So I'm adding these different, I'm peeling away these 
layers on an onion, so to speak, and I'm adding these different elements that that in order, you know, that I can manage meta game wise in order to have a better chance on the battlefield. But it didn't really feel like the battles themselves were becoming a deeper strategic experience as I went through the game. How does how does that compare to the, to Phantom Brave? Um, I'd say Phantom Brave is better in that regard um, because as you're opening these different characters up, uh, they're definitely creating more options. Like you know, there's a whole item system in this game that's not like oh you know you buy your characters new equipment. You know these weapons kind of have their own stats and own levels and and characteristics, and you can merge them together. So, but you don't you literally don't even have to equip characters with weapons so you know it's all about um discovering how to use that to your advantage and make it easier for on your you know mixing and matching the different options to give you the best chance to win and in addition to you know the other the other things you're required to do on the battlefield like you know managing when to deploy characters based on how long they're able to stay out you know managing getting finding ways to get best characters to be able any... to stay out on the battlefield longer. By leveling characters, are they able to stay deployed longer, or do, is that a fixed amount that they can stay in an object? Uh, I'm, to my best recollection, it's not something that can be expanded greatly, hmm. okay. is my yeah. recollection. So if you're not good enough to have some one character mop the board in a couple of turns, then you are going to be forced to uh, get more Most creative. likely, yeah. I mean, like... There are probably ways to absolutely break this game because it is a Nipponichi game, and <laughs> without knowing for sure, I'm just going to guess that there are dark, surely ways to absolutely break this game. But just you know, kind of going in, not not looking to do that, you know, um, you're very unlikely to be able to do that. Like I, I mean, in this this guy, there are just so many different ways in which <laughs> you could find ways to do that. Um, that it's quite possible that you'll just like accidentally trip your way into it. Uh, whereas in this, that's probably not likely. Hmm. It's, it's especially, you know, especially with the limited deployment time. Mm-mm-mm. All righty. So over overall, wrap this up for us. Um, well, uh, of course, uh, actually, let's. <laughs> I almost feel like I shouldn't have. I, I shouldn't ask this because I pretty much we all know what the answer is going to be, but. What about the graphics and the sound? Well, I guess you could speak specifically on the Wii version where they where they yeah. enhance from the, the PlayStation because we, we pretty much know uh, about talking about the other games that all the graphics on these things were pretty much the same in their approach and their you know their technical level. But was it any different on the Wii? As I, I mean, supposedly, but if, if you ignore the fact that it's an updated port from a PS2 game, you would have no idea that, it's, that it wasn't just a PS2 game. Like I, I um, if I'm, I know there's like some different settings to make the sprites and stuff look better, hmm. um, but it's not to the point where it's gonna look like the sprites from Rayman Legends or Rayman Origins or something like that. It, uh-huh. You know, it still is absolutely something that could just show up on the PS2. So, uh, that that being said, um, they're very nice sprites. They're well animated. Um, the cutscenes kind of do an interesting thing where they look like they're taking place in like a side scroller which is an interesting way to do them um but you know it, it actually works out really well and as far as the sound goes it's got a lot of i'd say lighter music um some tunes that maybe get played a bit too often but as quality wise they're definitely way up there so uh the old the overall audio video package would be uh very good for 
um, for the Nippon Ichi game, and it definitely it definitely sells that this is a different style of games than you know the other ones. Like you look at Maikai Kingdom, and you know it's like oh it's it's another Disgaea esque game. Mm-hmm. Where whereas you look at well, the graphics Mike. for this, and it looks it looks like something different. Nathan told us the story of Makai Kingdom's creation, which is that NIS was trying to create something that really pushed the PS2 hardware, and it, <laughs> it wouldn't fly. And this is what happened when there there was a sudden rush. We crap. We got a deadline. We got to come up with something really, really fast. So let's just throw together whatever we have ready in a couple of months. So that's probably why Makai Kingdom looks. Gosh, I don't know. Very similar to other NIS stuff. This is true. Um, so overall, uh, did you enjoy the game? Yeah, I really like the game. Like I said, it's not perfect. You, there's some difficulty spikes. Um, the mechanics of managing the island and characters and weapons are all very non-traditional in a lot of respects. So it can be a difficult game to learn just because, you know, especially, especially if you're going in from Disgaea expecting it to play like that, you could be, you'll, you'll do fine early on because the early areas are relatively easy. But, you know, once the game starts picking up, um, and expects you to know what you're doing. Yes, you're going to run into some trouble. And, you know, so, but overall it's, it's different and not and you know, it's, I'm not, it's not worth playing just because it is different. It's worth playing because it's different and it does different well. And I really wish they had kind of explored some of the ideas from this game a bit more than My Kai Kingdom. Um, so. But My Kai Kingdom lets me throw buildings at people. Yeah, hello, buildings. <laughs> and I get a motorcycle. We uh, talked about the motorcycle. Like I, I, I like I like the crazy zaniness of Nipponichi's some of Nipponichi's titles, but uh, they can, you know, do something more interesting at times if they kind of tone that down a bit. You know, I may mean, want to say a quote from Lord Zed in Makaiki Kingdom. If people wanted it in an emotional, sappy game, more people should have bought Phantom Brave, which I guess kind of sums up why they can't make more games like Phantom Brave. <laughs> yeah, well, that's funny. If if it apparently didn't sell all that well, that this game managed to come out with three different versions. <laughs> I guess I guess they really like this game and really wanted people to buy it, and I'm pretty sure that if the PS2 version sell that didn't sell, that the PSP and Wii versions did not buck that trend in the slightest. And yet, this did get three versions, which yeah. is more than most of the other non-Disgaea NAS games. So the PlayStation 2 version is going for about uh, ten. To 15 for a used copy. There's one I see brand new for about 30. The PSP version, which is called Phantom Brave the Humida Triangle, uh, that one is going for about the same. I'm seeing actually a couple of new copies here under 20 bucks and seeing some oh. used copies under 15. And then Phantom Brave, we meet again. It's like every time it's got a different subtitle, but they're they're all the same game, right? I mean... Uh, the, the PSP and Wii versions are pretty much the same. They have a little bit of... They have like an extra little storyline. Ah. Uh, kind of like but, the the Disgaea 2 PSP, which had like an extra chapter at the end. Yeah, yeah. But those two versions are pretty much the same. So uh, I think there's some other other additions too. Maybe some extra there's some extra secret characters or something. But for the most part, the main game is the same as the PS2 version. So that uh, that Wii game is going for about twenty dollars used and thirty plus new. 
So apparently it's holding its value pretty well for uh, for a Wii game. I think a lot of people like it. Um, of course, it doesn't help that on the Wii, they're really, outside of maybe Fire Emblem, uh, there's not a whole lot of g- good yeah. tactical um, RPGs on that system. Wait, well, but didn't Arc Fantasia have a good combat system? It, it did, but it's not really not tact- tactical. Not really tactical, right. but I enjoy the battle system on Arc a lot. Um, well... Well, let me let, let me take a minute to talk to some of the NIS fans out there. I'm sure you're looking at some of their future and recent releases like Bugen Souls and Time and something and thinking, hey, I should buy that. I like NIS America. And I'm here to tell you that instead of buying wait, those wait, those games... Trends. yes, didn't, didn't Last Rebellion also come through NIS America? Oh, yes, also Last Rebellion. You may be thinking, hey, I, I just saw a, a clearance copy of Last Rebellion. I would like to support this America. I'm here to tell you, for the love of God, please do not do that. Please go out, find some new copies of Phantom Brave, go on PSN, buy a, a fresh new copy, send them the right message that that's the kind of game we would like from them and not Eugen Souls because I would like to maintain my sanity. Thank you. But I... Uh, so, you, are you glad in a very perverse way that you were not the one who had to review Time and Eternity? Uh, yes. Um, I may... If, if that had happened, I may, may have checked myself into a mental institute currently. And well, which and I actually did volunteer, but somebody volunteered before I did. So I guess I think you dodged a bullet there. I, I think so. I think so. I mean, I'm almost oh. getting the impression that you didn't like mutant Jules for some mutant Jules mutant. <laughs> no. so I can't pronounce it. Mutant souls. I I can't where imagine. Where get that idea? I can't imagine why. It, I, I, it was very. Very elliptically phrased, but I am definitely getting this sensation. I know, like, right? Of, of at least mild dislike. Yeah. I mean, surely I wouldn't hate enough, hate a game enough to coin the phrase Mugen sold as, as a term of anti endearment. I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm just I saying. So, well, all right. So uh, go out and get your Phantom Brave on. Please. Well, I, real, I realize that saying Phantom Brave is better than Mugen Souls is <laughs> not saying a whole lot. It's like saying, I, well, I like eating this donut more than I like having someone punch me in the face. But well, it is still a valid comparison. <laughs> that is true. I, but here, I will say something more controversial to maybe get people going. Phantom Brave is better than the first two disguises. There you go. Hmm. Okay, that that will get people talking, I think. Hmm. All right. And uh, you can uh, write all your complaints about that last statement, too. Apps at rpgamer.com. And his phone number is 521783. Well, actually, it's, it's wheels at rpgamer. And please send me that hate, which will be forwarded to Phil, who is taking over Q&A for the next one. <laughs> so, oh, uh, we'll talk or about that did you that forget later. about that? No, we, we, we haven't got to the end of the show yet where we talk about the weird stuff in life. We still <laughs> got to talk about your favorite game of all. What, you, because it has a cradle in the title? Because, because it has people who eat worlds in the title. So it must be the best game of the series. 
Because, I mean, what could be more awesome than a world leader, right? I mean, look at – I mean, Mike, all you have to do is look at film history to know that out of the four games we talk, we're going to, we're talking about tonight, Soul Nomad and the World Eater – uh, eaters must be the best because as we all know in the final or in the fantastic four franchise which that second movie had galactus who was himself a world leader that was absolutely the best movie the best superhero movie ever made right you are absolutely right phil yeah uh, how could anyone have said that galactus represented as a big swirling dust cloud in space could fail look at that the beauty, the majesty of this representation of a world eater puts to shame all decriers out there everywhere. Everyone just forget Galactus in his comic incarnation. This is the Galactus world eater that we should bow down to and hope that he does not, in fact, devour Earth. I mean, really, they did such a great job with that because it left it open to the imagination. I mean, they could have shown you Galactus, but really, would that have scared you nearly as much as what your own imagination can conjure up given enough time and dust? I I I stop my argument here. So we got to talk about Soul Nomad and the World Eaters, developed by Nippon Ichi, published by NIS America. This was released in North America on September 25th, 2007. A single-player tactical RPG for your PlayStation 2, which doubles as a coffee coaster. It's not that bad. I really like uh, it. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, Mugen Souls d- doubles as a Mugen Souls. All right. No, Mugen Souls doubled doubles as one of those ski shoot things. Actually, so using it as a coaster is too good for it. Yeah, I would not put my coffee on a on top of a cup of a copy of Mugen Souls. Never. Okay. That's one powerful taint. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! So, uh, so, so, and I will, I will start off by saying before I get negative or positive or otherwise, I will put it out there. I came to Soul Nomad with some bad expectations, so that's why I have a probably a negative opinion. Where others may have a, a we'll have a positive opinion on it, and I'll explain more when we get to the gameplay section. But let's first talk about something I think we all agree more or less. At least I hope we do agree uh, about the the story and about that being you know pretty pretty different and original, and and I enjoyed it. Um, so more or less, I didn't get all the way through it though. So those of you who got through it may have a a different uh, opinion. But uh, do one of y'all want to talk about the story, or do you want me to? I can handle it. Go for it. Okay. The story of this game is simple. Basically, many years passed. The mysterious, the mysterious evil guy named Gig showed up with three powerful beings called the World Eaters, and they basically wrecked the whole planet. That's more or less it. The world leaders eventually kind of vanished, but and so did Gig Guy, but the world basically got messed up and never really recovered. Many years after that, I can't remember exactly how many hundreds, in a secret hidden village that's invisible to the outside world, the main hero has just finished growing up. You can choose if this is a guy or a girl and you name, name him or her. The, the default name is Revia. And this character is kind of coming of age, and alongside his or her friend who... Uh, Danette is her name? Yes, Danette. That's, that's, you are just going to pick your first weapon and complete your training and go out into the world. However, while everyone else gets to pick their own weapon when they grow up, you are, if the hero is handed this mysterious dark sword and told that he or she, I'll just go with he from now on since that's the way I played the game, he has been given a special mission and thus has his soul, his soul directly bonded into the evil soul of Gig within the sword and thus is basically possessed by the Gig, the guy who destroyed the world hundreds of years prior. And being told you're going to use Gig's power and all the evil dark power he has to defeat the world eaters and save the world. And that kind of sets you off on your journey as you 
eventually head out of this hidden place and start meeting the world eaters and wandering around the world trying to find out a way to beat them. Which is kind of hard since the, the first world, world eater you meet is level 1000, but no, kind of, it kind of gets easier from there. Um, I'm not sure what to say about this story otherwise. This is a really weird story because it's not like a typical Nipponichi kind of story. It's very dark at times. Very, very dark. At the same time, it's like they're trying to be dark and serious, but they're failing at it. Because every so often they just do something utterly ridiculous and start joking about food or other ridiculous stuff. And it's just like, it's like people are trying to keep a serious melodramatic expression and then kind of cracking a smirk and ruining it every five minutes. It's really kind of schizophrenic, but it kind of has its own charm to it. Which it's kind of why I like the game. Ah... It's kind of some of the serious parts are really poorly told. This overblown thing about Median the Conqueror that they keep bringing up and he keeps getting mentioned, even though he's really not all that important or interesting and such. Uh, other than that, it's mostly a story of you. Basically, you your hero is shackled to Gig, who is an extremely eccentric and evil guy who's just likes going around to everyone thinking he's a badass and ass and he likes the most violent solution to everything and everything like that but he's kind of deep down a good guy and you slowly learn that his true history as you go on that he's not as really as evil as he appears but no matter what he has powers and you seriously need them to fight these ridiculously powerful world eaters which are actually really cool villains in my opinion I like all three of them there's really something else um, basically, you go around. There's a lot of different species in this world. You've got the Nerids, which are a bunch, a tribe of women who are all live in the ocean. You've got people like Danette, who are kind of a, I guess they're kind of like oxen people. And there's two different types of them. And there's small angel people and winged women and all kinds oxen of other things. Oxen people can, makes me think of Breath of Fire. Yeah, it's kind of like that, basically. There's a t- tribe ones that are smaller and kind of some that are really bigger. And Basically, everyone has these tribal, and there's also dragon people, I guess they are called. And basically, you need to build a giant army out of all by gathering up as many of these people as you can, and you have to defeat the world eaters. And then you must eventually reveal that, there's, that the world eaters are just weapons sent by the people of another alternate world, which is invading your own, and you have to go in and invade that world and defeat its gods, who are called the world rulers. And that's basically how it all comes to an end. It's actually pretty straightforward, it just has a lot of dark twists and turns in the way. There's some really unexpected, terrible betrayals in the middle, and some something which just they're on a giant comedy routine halfway through the game, and then it's revealed much later that oh, there's actually that's actually really gruesome, dark secret behind that comedy routine, and a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the story myself, and uh, you know, agree pretty much with everything Nathan says. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, the character of Gig is just awesome all around. It's hilarious and interesting and all kinds of such. It really makes the game. It it does. It really does. I I, I have to say it's it's gosh I, I even feel it's a it's a bit better than the Disgaea games, which I do like. Uh, the story and the banter in those and the and the characters in Disgaea are very memorable. Uh, Soul Nomad is 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 right up there. Yeah, I mean, Gig is the one character that's really that good, but there's a few other which are quite likable and interesting in their own right. So, um, so that's kind of story, really, really cool. And this, but let's talk about the battle system. Now, this one, this battle system takes uh, some very, very big departures, uh, more so than any other predecessors we've discussed. Yeah, uh, this, this one really, really steps not, away. 
yeah, this is really not at all like the Disgaea games. It's still a tactical RPG in which you can move units around on a grid, but that's its only real similarity to the Disgaea series. Because in this game, you control a whole squadron of up to nine units at once in each group, and you move them all, and they attack as one. Right. So, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll actually, and I don't remember the exact terminology, but you'll create squadrons of up to nine, nine characters each. And if you played Ogre Battle, which we were discussing about earlier on the show, very, very similar in the concept where you're making up these different squadrons and you send them out. But instead of sending them out in a Suedo real-time type of deal and the armies uh, clashing that way, this is definitely still a turn-based deal. You'll see each of the armies represented by, similar to Ogre Battle, with a single icon. But then when there's a fight, uh, then it, it zooms into the nine versus nine or however many people you may have in your, in your squadron versus whatever the enemy has in his squadron. Yeah, the number you start with only small squads so these, across the length of the game they can slowly get bigger as you find bigger and bigger rooms to put them in because there's this is kind of complex subsystem in which you have to create up to eight a set of rooms and this, fill them up and they have a certain number of randomly determined slots and special properties applied to the rooms you need to fill those up with your units to create the squads it's an interesting sub mechanic it's a little hard to explain and complicated yeah very similar to previous other entries in the system <laughs> other entries in the in the various uh, Nippon Ichi series that are out there, especially Disgaea, uh, you've got systems within systems, and the more that you build on on those systems, uh, the more advantages your 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 characters and your teams will have. So yeah, you'll have the rooms themselves that have characteristics that when the characters are put in there, they'll gain certain bonuses. And then there's uh, as you're arranging your individual parties, there's a front line, a middle row, and a rear row, and your characters. And- Go ahead. Every unit has three attacks, and depending on which row you put them in, they use different attacks. For example, mm-hmm. one unit might attack one target from the front row, or a group of targets in the middle row, or heal your own allies in the back row. So you need to figure out how to place them. Also, for example, if you put two knights in the team, they have a random chance of raising special guards to protect all of your units from physical damage at the start of each turn. Or if you put, like, had two mages, two healers, you can get a magic defense bonus. Or if you start putting other different combinations, you get special attacks that you can execute. Hold on a second, Nathan. I'm going to bring you back here and get a little bit of a break up there from him. Um, but yes, uh, can you hear me now, Nathan? Yeah, where do you want me to start over from? No, keep going. Okay, well, so, so basically... There's a lot of complexities here. So there's you know, all these kind of powerful super attacks. They're determined either by special characters or combinations of normal units or a mix of special characters or characters and normal units. Uh, you can't use them at the start of battle, but as your characters lower in something called stamina, their stats decrease if they unlock these attacks. So there's kind of interesting trade-off there. And there's a lot of stuff like that. And a lot of the leaders of units have special abilities that you can use at the as an addition to moving and attacking each turn and. There's a lot of tactical elements in this game to keep track of, and I think it's really interesting and fun. Uh, you can, and there's a l- wide variety of units, too, between weak soldiers to powerful griffin riders and dragons, nerids and ids and healers and all kinds of stuff. The, yeah, and as you're putting your teams together uh, to help you sort out, you know, how to kind of give you somewhat of an indication of, of how effective or how powerful that team is, because you're combining all these different elements together, uh, there it does give you like a rating 
uh, a numerical potentiality. potentiality rating. Yeah, so that helps you also know. Um, it kind of gives you an idea of how how well your group might stack up against an enemy group. Now, when you're in these, when you're on the maps fighting, uh, the isometric r- graphics that you're used to seeing in most of the other Nippon Ichi games are gone. Instead, you have these flat 2D maps that you're moving the groups around. When they clash together and fight, it uh, it then goes to like a side-scrolling, you know, back-and-forth type of thing. Uh, so you'll see your enemy, you know, your 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 guys will get an attack, and their guys will get an attack, and you'll see Wait, the damage happen. Side-scrolling back and forth. That reminds me of Igri Union. Yeah, it's probably not that different. I, right. From little I know of Igri Union. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, the battle just takes place on, you know, you're, you're getting... Uh, you're going to get a zoom in of basically, you know, the camera's looking at them from the side and uh, and you're seeing these 2D animated sprites of your your characters and monsters fighting against the enemy's characters and monsters kind of going back and forth. Um, unlike Ogre Battle, you don't have the – in Ogre Battle, when these battles were taking place in front of you, you could interject by using one of your uh, tarot cards. You could also set strategies up. Uh, well, not set strategies up, but you could change their their tactics a little bit yeah. when the fights were going on. I don't believe Phantom Brave has that flexibility. Yeah, yeah I mean, Soul Nomad, yeah. Soul Nomad doesn't have that kind of thing. They can just, just run through their attacks once. And every turn, you can't really fight it. There's more stuff you can do before battle control since any ogre battle. A lot of special abilities and such, but other than that, once the battle starts, it just runs. Yeah. So... Um, well, let's see, but yeah, there's just a lot of different systems uh, within the system. So the the those of you who like that aspect of the other uh, of the Disgaea games and such will certainly find a lot to like here. Now, now I'll tell you what happened with me and my experience with this. I mean, this this so we discuss this. This is basically there's a lot of ogre battle here. It's a turn base. When I first read the reviews, I saw the screenshots, and I before I bought the game, I was when I was doing my research on it. It reads very much like um, ogre battle meets Fire Emblem. Really? Yeah, it's not a bad way of describing it. Yeah, because you're you're moving you're moving things around on a flat two D model like you do in Fire Emblem, but then when you're fighting out, it kind of resolves the way Ogre Battle does more or less with some you know obviously with some significant changes. So this has all kinds of wins for me. I love Fire Emblem. I like Ogre Battle. And so I, I bought the game with those two things in mind. However, I had totally forgotten it's a Nippon Ichi game. I came expecting Ogre Battle and Fire Emblem, two games which really depend more on your strategic and tactical approach um, to what's going on. And the, the more you think things through, the bigger the payoff goes, so to speak. And they don't rely very much on leveling. I mean, in Fire Emblem, I'm sitting here, I get a level, I get plus one in three different stats. <laughs> Whereas you know, in a normal Nippon Inch game like Disque or stuff, your stats improve substantially, and your character is substantially more powerful with just a few levels, and uh, and how you abuse and use those subsystems. So I came to the table expecting a, uh, and partly because of the reviews I read, uh, were saying, yeah, this is a, this is a, this is a more strategic, more strategy focused affair than the previous Nippon um, Itchies. Um, you know, titles and the such, and I guess in, in a number of ways that they are, but they're still also very, very much about, uh, number one, abusing the systems, and number two, and more importantly, making sure that you're spending the time to level up your things, because... They're... Actually, that's wrong. This is a game where you don't need to spend time leveling up. They're specifically very different from Disgaea in that regard. I totally disagree. <laughs> because... Oh, no. <laughs> Let me say here, you don't need to level grind in this game. I never did. I never beat through the entire game rather quickly without ever level grind. I continue 
previously ran into foes that were handing several of my groups their asses on a silver platter, and it was okay. only an, and now now remember I'm saying those two things put together you can you can probably focus on abusing or using or whatever you want to call it the subsystems and probably get through just that way that's fine no, I not explain why you don't need to grind in this game you see in this game you're constantly acquiring new units because there's constantly new unit types being available unit types are better than your old units like you start with weak little fighters and you upgrade them to knights and you go on to wolf riders and go on to griffin riders and so forth however you're always need to hire new units you can't upgrade your old units into new units you have to replace them and every time you hire new units you get to hire that unit at the level of your main character so as long as your main character is higher level you can immediately buy an entire army of characters who are at the same level who are more powerful than your old army you okay. never need to grind okay fine you don't need to grind then maybe you go out and you buy a bunch of new characters you've got the money in your back pocket to burn go ahead my whole point is it's it's not really your strategy it's not like the fire emblem and the ogre battle games where your strategy is key it's the level of your characters whether you get there by grinding or abusing the systems uh by moving things around or whatever have you or the you know figuring out the puzzles or, or whatever have you it's not really yeah the strategy you know that you kind of bring to the help table helps but the more i played the the, the less i was felt like my 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 thinkology in the battles the strategy of the individuals but the battles themselves were helping me to win because ultimately i kept lo- losing if i play you know fire emblem a lot of times if i lost a battle i take a break from it i rethink my approach to it and then i go back and oh yes now i totally you know slam dunk this but with that game you probably needed to go back and and level up your characters or as you're saying go and refresh you know switch out your troops with current level characters i know but that's just through I purchasing mean, this is an easier game than fire emblem uh, it really is but i'm not i don't i don't want easy that's that's what i'm saying i like strategy i like games that reward yeah, me for thinking hard a reasonable amount. i mean i'm not getting your complaint here my complaint is that it doesn't reward me for strategy. It, 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 that's what that's what Fire Emblem and Ogre Battle games do. They reward the the player for strategy, not necessarily you know grinding helps a tiny bit. That's it. You don't grind in this game. Uh, no, 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 no. But I'm, okay, let me rephrase, Nathan. The levels of my characters don't make nearly as much of a difference as the strategy I bring to the table. I get a bigger pat on the back from Fire Emblem and Ogre Battle by implement by carefully arranging my parties and using. Careful you strategy. Careful in this game. Like, there's the, like, this game has a, the weapon triangle fire emblem, like, kicked up so far. That's actually my one complaint about this game is this, the strategic weapon triangle system is actually too extreme. You, you just can't fight unless you abuse it. Yeah. And, yeah, that helps, but... And it's still, so it's got that rock, paper, scissors. The fact that team building is actually really complicated and interesting. It often have different kinds of team builds that you can do stuff. Like the abilities you can use mid-battle are really powerful and important to use properly. It's just, you know... If you're not taking advantage of all that's the tactical options available to I you, am taking av- I was taking advantage of the tactical options, but my power levels of a lot of my characters were below average for whatever reason. Maybe like I said, I wasn't buying them out enough or whatever have you, and that made a huge difference. And I was getting constantly wiped out. I just felt like I didn't feel like I was being rewarded for carefully arranging my parties and carefully planning, and then carefully, you know, in strategy, you know, using strategy yeah. in the okay. in the actual battles. Even ignoring the gig edict system, which we still need to get into, I'm just going to disagree. And the gig edict system is a kind of big deal, so it's a totally different element. Well, I mean, don't, I mean, Nathan, be careful. I mean, you almost sound like I'm stupid. I, 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 I 
love the I love the story of the game. I I paid nearly full price for it because I love the concept of the game. So I came to the game not with a and, and reading the reviews, it read exactly like a game that I wanted to play. So it wasn't a game that I only gave like a half an hour to or an hour to and decided it wasn't for me and made a prejudgment based on not giving it enough time or enough rope or anything like that. This was a game that I wanted to like, so I came to the table wanting to give it every chance. But I'm telling you, when, you know, being a person who loves strategy games, who loves the Fire Emblem games, the Ogre Battle games, the games that, you know, that really make me think and reward me for thinking through battles, this one just wasn't wasn't hitting those notes for me. And I appreciate that you enjoyed it, and I can respect that pain. I'm just telling you, I, I, from, for me, it wasn't firing on those, it wasn't, it yeah, wasn't guess, firing off those same synapses. Uh, all I can do is agree to disagree, then. I mean, okay, I mean, let me just talk about some of the gig edicts, then. Just change the subject a bit. Because this is a game which you've got the power of gig, and that expresses itself through the gig edicts, which is basically your license to do whatever you want. And this is kind of a big part of the advertising because it lets you do stuff like there are random people in towns you can talk to. You can use a gig edicts to try to kidnap them and force them into your army. Like almost anyone you can talk to, you can force them into your army. Except a couple of plot characters are off limits, at which point you, some kind of Superman comes in to intervene, which is kind of funny actually. Um, or you can rob sh- from shops, or you can try to, in the middle of a battle, try to kidnap one of your enemies. Or you can take one of your units and split them into two, and then level them up with, uh, to give them 1,000 bonus levels uh, for just for a temporary fight. Basically, it's a game which is all about breaking the rules using these items, which is, it's not quite used to its full potential, but it's kind of a, a really fun little strategic element, because it lets you do all kinds of crazy stuff you normally can't do in a tactical RPG. Right, it's and that's... And that's scale level, but it's still really interesting. And that's what I'm saying. I came to the table with the wrong, you know, with the wrong expectations. You, you, when you enjoyed those aspects, you... Actually, I beat the game without using Kiki because I was kind of worried they'd give me a bad ending if I used them. Well, and other but things like... Yeah, and other things like it. I'm just saying it wasn't the strategy that wins out the day. It's getting into those other elements. Or, I, mean, I don't know what you mean by strategy anymore. If you're saying, like, this doesn't count and that doesn't count. What counts if all the things that are... All the strategic depth is there. It's just you're not counting a strategy for some reason. I don't know why. Well, gig edicts would not be a strategy. Like you said, it's not It is a strategy. What, how's that not a strategy? It's on the both a strategic level of gig edicts well, like you recruit more characters and get Nippon, more money everything. Yeah, Nippon itchy but, like with so like the tactical with, element of when you do more advanced maneuvers of using one unit to pull another unit along or divide up your forces to defeat Like with Disgaea, like in Disgaea you can go to the you can go to the uh, panel of judges and you can say, Hey, I wanna make this next battle five levels lower because I'm having a tough time with it. You can you know, and they'll pass the edict if you bribe them and you pass an edict and now that battle's much easier to get through. I would not call that strategic. That doesn't. That doesn't. That doesn't it's satisfy. Not the same kind of thing, though. Well, it's it sounds like the gig edict thing, where okay, for this battle, my party's going to have a thousand more levels. That kind of sounds like the so same. The equivalent to like carrying a healing potion into battle. That's exactly what they're equivalent to. Well, that's. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's an item system which is designed to make have a wide range of interesting effects. Well, okay. Um, I'll just say that I gave it a full, you know, I gave it a full try, spent over two dozen or so hours on it, and uh, just didn't walk away with that, with you know, because again, I'm coming with those expectations of Fire Emblem, Ogre Battle, those types of things. It just fell a lot flatter to me. game from those, but it's still, you know, it's an interesting kind of game. I don't say it's the deepest strategy game, but it's, you know, there's a little bit fairer credit than you're giving it. So, anything else? Alrighty. Well, let's take a look at the uh, the old prices here on the uh, divisive game uh, Soul Nomad. 
if nothing else. We can call it that and agree on that. Uh, let's see. Soul Nomad and the World Eaters for the PlayStation 2 is uh, got a couple of used copies here around 25 brand new at 50 so might be worth a try for you, depending on uh, what you what you what you like. Might want to go and check that out. Nothing else, buy it, give it a try, and if you don't like it, you can always sell it and probably holds its value pretty well. So you'd probably get back the what you spent right. minus. At the very least, fees. you've described something different. Yeah, it is to be commended. Yeah, and also it's a reasonably length game. It's like twenty to thirty hours, I think, which is you know it's not going to stay overly long, and you don't have to grind in it at all. So it's a pretty quick, easy to get through, fun game to, like, between two big games or something. It's a nice game for that. All right. Well, uh, we're going to take um, a tiny little break. I think we're kind of running short on time, so uh, we'll save that uh, blast from the recent past for another time, and we'll come back and wrap things up with the final lap. return to talk about well we've returned to talk about lots of different things because this is the final lap this is the segment of the show where we read your comments answer questions talk about what we're all doing and uh, also where lately i've been talking about my top 10 favorite games so we're going to be going over the next number one of those five. number five it's coming up but first uh, i believe we had some comments on our on our last show mr minky we did Apparently, a lot of people have, in fact, either read The Lord of the Rings or seen the movies, maybe even both. And for some reason, it doesn't seem as though we were particularly enthusiastic about any of the video game treatments of that story. I can't imagine why. Uh, yeah, I was definitely impressed to see uh, some comments on there, specifically because usually when we talk about the more Western RPGs, we don't usually get a lot of comments, and when we talk about the weaker games that are out there, we don't get a lot of comments. So I figured we're talking about a weak Western RPG game. Uh, we wouldn't hear peep out of anybody, but we got a, we got a uh, couple. So, Silktail suggested a new triangle out there, Rock, Scissors, Nazgul. I... 
I'm not sure how that would work, honestly, because I think the Nazgul should own all three iterations of Rock, Paper, Scissors, but you get credit for coming up with something I've never heard before, Silktail. We had a couple of people thank us for uh, scaring them away from the games. Uh, they had some lingering curiosities uh, that they may yes, want to pick those Shaman. up. Shaman appreciated the ending description of the third age and if you didn't hear it here it is again you fight the eye of sauron and you kill it and that is apparently how middle earth was saved (laughs) leon uh 80 said he always wondered if the lord of the rings third age was a good game but after hearing this backtrack he shall wonder no more yes I'm racking my brain for anything that I forgot to say last time, and here, I'll come up with it. Ian McKellen, in his epic scenes of Middle-Earth narration, says at least twice the total dialogue of your of your characters in the whole game. Which is fine, because Ian McKellen, even when he's clearly pass- cashing a paycheck, which he's doing here, has a good voice. But it also shows you just how hard EA's writers worked on coming up with interesting characters. Hmm. So, um, our next show is RPG Backtrack number 97 will be The Shadow Knows. We're going to be talking about uh, some Blue Dragon games. So if you have any questions or thoughts, you can uh, email uh, email us at uh, jcservant at cyberlightcomics.com. You can Twitter me at jcservant and uh, send me a Facebook message, facebook.com forward slash jcservant. And we'll be happy to read your questions and answer them on the air, so to speak. Uh, oh, Phil, that next episode, Bastions on Blast from the Recent Past. Well, I was going to talk about this show, for, but I was going to kind of get a little ahead. But since we're kind of running short on time, yeah, we'll, we'll see if we got some time to talk about Bastion. That's if we don't spend three hours talking about the awesomeness that is Blue Dragon. It's not just Blue Dragon. <laughs> Blue Dragon Plus. Plus. I mean, yeah. Blue Dragon, Blue Dragon Plus. Shadow. I, it's got it. Blue Dragon games. Uh, it's, it's Plus, after all. Shoot. Oh, uh, poop. We get to talk about Blue Dragon's boss theme. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And how amazing it is. That would be a Nobuo Uematsu composition, right? Yes, but with vocals from the lead singer of Deep Purple. Mm-mm-mm. All righty. So, okay, now, uh, now you've got uh, smoke on the water stuck in my head, so thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> Ay, 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 All right. So we're, uh, let's go ahead and do – let's knock it out of the way. We've talked about it a couple of times. Let's talk about the next game on the top ten list of Phil's very subjective list of best RPGs of all time. So uh, as Mike mentioned before, we were up to – Number five. That's right. And I had a little contest out there to see who could guess this. I guess no one even wanted to take a guess. I mean, come on, guys. We're getting down to the last number five there. You could at least take a shot in the dark. I've talked, if you listen to a lot of our RPG backtracks, I've talked about uh, this game a couple of times. I've talked about all these games. That, uh, People, I'm looking through my spam folder right now to see if I missed something, and all I see is the same old Via Viagra ads from Canadian pharmacies. So unless somebody cleverly disguised the submission like this, um, nobody did. No, no. So, 
uh, we'll give him another shot. We'll give him another shot uh, to uh, to win our awesome. I don't even remember what it was. It was one of my games that are in my Steam account, sitting there growing dust. I got lots of games in my my Steam gift account, and now we've got Lord. No one got the Lord of the Rings question either, so I've got an extra Lego Lord of the Rings sitting in my account that's dying for a home. So if if you answer uh, you answer this next question, which I'll talk about after I talk about the game, um, then uh, then you could earn yourself a free Steam game. Anywho. My number five pick is the largest MMO of all time. Yes, it is World. I have to stop right there. It's World of Warcraft. Um, I love myself some World of Warcraft. Before World of Warcraft, I didn't even touch any of their MMOs. Uh, being a big fan of pen and paper RPGs and all of the computer and console RPGs that are out there, I had a number of friends try to talk me into EverQuest and a lot of those um, older games that are out there. But I would watch them play, and it would look boring and grindy, and I, I didn't quite get why everyone was so into it. Uh, World of Warcraft came out, had really, really super great reviews. I read them, and this seemed like to be the best thing since since sliced bread. So I went out and grabbed it, bought it, played it with my wife for about three or four months, uh, had some good times, and uh, then I, I canceled my account. Um <laughs> So it's not exactly a testament to how awesome it, it is. It is not a it's, testament. No, it's not. Um, I mean, World of Warcraft definitely brought a lot of things uh, to the table. It brought you know, a lot of conveniences, fast travel, uh, took a lot of the boring grinding out and replaced it with what would affectionately be called going forward quest grinding. But it was definitely uh, if it, it was definitely one of the first RPGs that brought uh, MMORPGs, I should say, that gave you a viable way of leveling up through a story and a quest chain. Before that, you would just, in a lot of these MMOs, you would just go and camp monster spawns and just gain your XP sitting there killing the same monsters over and over again or you would do uh, dungeon runs or the such. Uh, World of Warcraft was the was did, did did this really great effort of bringing these storylines that you could you could take your character through and those were pretty cool. I have to say in the open worlds and such that you could go through was definitely neat. Uh, but, you know, for me, it still got kind of repetitious. Uh, that quest grinding thing felt like a quest grind. I kept hitting some walls where I didn't have any more quests to do, but I'm at level 40. Leveling was much slower back then. Getting gold was much slower. And it, it wasn't it wasn't really doing it for me after a few months. So over the next four, five, or six years, I have I had canceled, resubscribed for a few months, checked out the new expansion, canceled again. You know, just wasn't quite there. But one of the reasons why it is on my top 10 list is that every year they keep building and building and making improvements that make the game more fun for me. And again, this is Phil's very subjective list. Everyone, you know, comes to the table expecting something different and, and they enjoy different aspects of the game. A lot of people, you know, Warcraft has 12 million, had 12 million subscribers at one point. They're down to 8 million from what I understand right now. And a lot of those people were there for their own reasons. But I'm a casual gamer. I, I don't much get into the whole social aspect of MMOs, ha ha ha. Um, and yet, uh, and I'm what you would consider a casual gamer because I like to spend my time playing other games, so I don't like to spend 90 hours a week uh, playing that same MMO, which which MMOs tend to cater themselves to. But World of Warcraft over those years has progressed, has uh, evolved, and has added things to make it more compelling. The storylines are better. The quests flow better. The this, the If you don't have – it used to be back in the day that once you got to the higher levels, the only way you could continue to progress was to join a guild and, and 
and be there on time every single week doing the same thing and the same dungeons over and over again. They have since fleshed out that system to where, hey, you're not part of a guild? No big deal. We got a looking for group system that will get you plugged into dungeons so that you can you can level up and earn your gold and, and progress your character that way. And then when you get to the end game where it's more about getting better gear than it is about leveling your character, hey, we've got ways for you to do that if you're not plugged into a big guild. But you know what? We're also going to try to get you into a big guild because if you are part of a guild, we're not going to punish you anymore by saying, you know, the game stops for you. Instead, we're going to say you're going to get all these perks if you're part of a guild. So we're no longer stopping you from regressing. That Those doors are open. There's ways for you to continue to progress your character that are fun, that are compelling, and there's now multiple ways to do so. Back when it first came out, your main way of leveling up and moving up was pretty much just grinding those in-game dungeons and raids. Nowadays, you can do battlegrounds, you can do uh, scenarios, which are much shorter than dungeons, and they're really great if you're a busy person, you've just got 30 quick minutes, you can jump into a scenario and get right back out. Um, it's basically instant queue on those scenarios because uh, they're not class-based. Uh, I could go on and on farming, and uh, they, you now get experience for uh, working, you know, farming materials and stuff. And now you've got cross-realm play. You see back in the day, hey, Bob, oh, you play World of Warcraft too? Let's get together. Oh, wait, we're on different servers. We can't group. Well, now you can group. Now you can run dungeons together. Now you can even, they just implemented this with the last expansion. You can now group with your friends from different servers and do quests together in the Overland area. So they're continuously working hard to listen to why people are quitting, what the different types of players want, both the casual player and still catering to the hardcore player that's out there. They still have those systems in place for you guys. But for people like me, from my perspective, they just continue to do more and more and more. And other MMOs have come out since then, which have brought some of those improvements that WoW has developed, and they will package that in right from the beginning. Um, to make those you know those games seem compelling, but every time I jump into one of those, I realize yeah they do have let's say this aspect of wow they may have the dungeon queuing or they may have the fast travel or they may have you know this or that, but they don't have the whole package because Blizzard has been building World of Warcraft over the last eight or nine years. There's just so many you know systems within systems that support making the game fun for casual and hardcore players. That when you go to a when I go to a new MMO, it may be prettier, it may have better graphics, and it may even have some new and fresh concepts that it brings to the table but because it doesn't have all these other things that make the game easier to play or fun to play or more accessible i should say for a casual player it it can be a bit of a turnoff for me so um yeah to this day i'm still i'm still in there playing world of warcraft and i still go back and play and have a really great time uh with all of its various ways to play i could talk for two hours about it i won't i'll just uh (laughs) i'll just tell you if you and if you you know a lot of people you either you either most people have played at one point or another i will tell you if you haven't played it for a couple of years years um you may find you may want to go back and give it another shot because a lot of things have changed um since especially like burning crusade and even the lich king uh, um, a lot of things have improved uh, and the such and there's still some rough things here and there i mean sometimes i get somebody who's like oh my god i hate world of warcraft because you know somebody else can come and steal my my ore that i'm trying to fight for and yeah some of those things are still there some of those irritations are still there but in a lot of ways they've either improved them or completely gotten rid of of, of a lot of those things that were holding us back from having fun in the past so uh, I, I definitely give them kudos for absolutely not getting lazy uh, they had 12 million people at one time and and uh, and they've lost subscriptions since then for the last few years it's been on decline but at no point has Blizzard said they could have they could have reveled in their success and say hey we got a great product we're just gonna collect the cash and, and just release a few extra levels 
Um, they could have, when it started going on the decline, they could have said, well, it's at the end of its life cycle. Um, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll just do some lazy efforts here. Now, when you go back and you look at the expansions, especially with Mr. Pandaria and the patches that have come after Mr. Pandaria, every single thing, they have absolutely busted their tail and trying new and incredibly different things to, uh, to make the game more accessible, more fun across the board, and to answer a lot of the complaints. Uh, when people quit... They pay very much attention to that comment field you fill out because they ask you, why are you quitting? Uh, yeah, they're, they're reading it. So, anywho, uh, check out World of Warcraft. Now, next week will be my number four. and Two weeks. Two next, weeks. Next that, show. That's right, next show. And hopefully it won't be We've dead. We've gone over this. You, I could have you do this every week, but you really don't want to do that. No, especially since next week, for the July 4th weekend, I'm actually going to be up in Seattle for PaizoCon. So I'll be driving back Monday morning, so hopefully oh, it won't be too dead tired. from Utah to Seattle? Uh-huh. Okay, that's going to be a big trip. I drove all night to get... Anyway, so... Now he's got Cindy Lauper in my head. Thanks. <laughs> so anyway, so our my number four game. Uh, I will tell you that it is an RPG in a genre. Uh, the story, I should say, the story itself is not a fantasy story, and it's not a sci-fi story, not in the typical sense. It's a genre that's very rarely touched um, by RPGs. Um, I'll give you a little extra clue. It was released exclusively on the PC, and it had a sequel, um, though the sequel wasn't called a two. Um, it was actually called the third, and there's more to that third than just that, but if I say anything more, it becomes way too easy to Google. So, <laughs> so those are your clues. It was a PC uh, RPG, uh, and you know I'll, I'll I'll check to see what deck I'll I'll narrow it down to a decade for you. Oh, I almost said it out loud too, and just murmuring to myself. Mm-hmm. Well, clearly you're talking about System Shock. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, no, not a sci-fi, not a fantasy, not a not a Final Fantasy Elves and Dwarves. So you can eliminate those two guys out of the past. It was released in the first decade of the millennium. And like I said, one sequel that has you know that is that is really called the third and not the second. So you can see if you can figure out. It's a PC exclusive game. I'm not aware of it coming out to any sort of other consoles or handhelds or anything along those lines. So I think I think I can't say too much more. No, nope, nope, nope. If I think of another obscure clue, I'll mention it before the end of the show. All right, so let's do uh, let's do our wrap up. We give each of our participants on the show today a chance to talk about what they're doing on the side, or maybe what games they're playing, or what movies they're watching, or whatever else. Uh, let's start with uh, Mr. Nathan. Anything you want to pimp tonight? Um, I guess I'll say just celebrate the Final Fantasy V Four Job Fiesta, which I'm participating with this year. It's hmm. just kind of a big organized play- challenge run playthrough of Final Fantasy V that a lot. At least a thousand people are participating in raising some money uh, for charity. What platform? Um, well, any game, any way you can play Final Fantasy V, you can play it. It's just okay. connecting. Uh, the main thing is organized via Twitter and various message forums like NeoGaf and such. It's a lot of fun. Basically, you get four jobs to randomly determine for you to play through all Final Fantasy V, and this is much more difficult than playing with a full list of twenty plus. I could imagine. Yeah, it's an interesting challenge. Mm-hmm. I've I've reached all the way to the final battle, and this is where it's gotten really really hard because I have a pretty bad team. The random number tuner did not like me this year. Uh, I don't know what to say about it. It's just trying to beat Neo X Death with a team of a monk, a ranger, a red mage, and 
A Dracoon is not easy. There's no good healing. I just Red Mage is so you're suck. not allowed to change once you've selected a class. Well, you can. I I've built up my the main character with uh, the three of the classes. You can you can every character can use any one so long as you always have one of each class anytime. And so it's okay. limited, kind of not limited. There's a more restricted rules than what I'm using as well. Like the natural run where you just you get one character gets one job and that's it. But. Uh, you better have a white mage in there somewhere, or else you're going to be really sorry, I bet. Oh, no, actually, Fantasy Five is great, because, you know, it's winnable with no, almost no matter what party you use. People have beaten the game with even the worst party possible for this system. Or, like, a team of all berserkers can beat Fantasy Five. It's just <laughs> how you go about it. So, the game has a lot of depth, which is kind of hidden if you don't play, if you play through it normally. It's kind of, I really love, one of the things I really love about Fantasy Five is that it makes a, a challenge like this one possible. I'm picturing a party of all geomancers. That would be interesting for Neo X Death. Yeah, that would be. Hmm. Well, yeah, I can see it. That's that's good to talk about, Nathan. Thank you. I I was not aware of that until you said it. Yeah, yeah. look it up. There's a big thread on NeoGaf if you're reading those forums about it and such. Do you think the guys on our forums know about? It? Has anybody ever posted about it on the RP Gamer forums? I don't know actually. Because yeah, I, I try to keep an eye on the forums. I don't remember seeing that there. That does sound very interesting. Anything else you you working on that you want to talk about? Any? Nah, nothing comes to mind. Just want to share that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That was, that was good, short but sweet. Uh, Mr. Apps. Yes. Anything you want to discuss? Yes, I am taking the month of July off from Q and A. Yay! Who's doing it? A little R and R. I don't know. Some some post to RPG backtrack or something. Yeah. Well, so far I've got no questions, so this is a pretty easy job. This is really great. So, yeah, well, in case you guys don't read our forums, you know, I'm like, you know, because yeah, I, I think I, I know everything. I have some questions now. Oh, Mickey's going to come yes. up with some obscure questions I won't know. So I like to think I know, as I as I said to, 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 to Mr. Apps there on the forum, you know, I pretend like I know everything. So, you know, Q&A is like a perfect job for me to show that, you know, to show everybody that I really don't know everything, but I just think I do. Um, so yeah, if you just want, what, what kind of questions do people normally ask you anyways? Uh, you know, what do you think of this game? Uh, uh, fairly long involved, uh, spiels about certain games that you yeah. get to read and respond to. Yeah, you know, just discussions or, or me, about news. Yeah. I'll just throw a couple dozen topics at the board and see which ones hit better. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, occasionally we get, uh... One Mr. Beat writing in with completely insane letters, which is always uh, interesting. Uh, so, yeah, you get a kind of a smorgasbord of different stuff. You know, and when I'm low on questions, I usually throw throw random stuff out on Twitter and get some responses, and that usually provides good material to work with. So you should keep that in mind. And, yeah, and obviously staff like Mike write in with, um, although no one writes anything quite as long. <laughs> Keep in mind that these are generally shorter than the letters I used to crank out in the old days of Q&A. I don't, I don't really know how I did that so regularly. Oh, wow. <laughs> Haven't you looked at some of those? No. I understand Josh and Matt dreaded seeing my letters because they <laughs> – then again, they did Q&A four and three times a week. That was uh, quite a bit of work. Yikes. So, yeah, yeah you, can, you can basically ask about anything, and I'll pretend like I know the answer, and, yeah, and it'll be fun. So <laughs> you, can, you can either keep writing them to the normal address, and I'm sure Mr. Apps will just forward them on to me, or, yep. uh, <clears throat> or yeah, again, you can Twitter me, at JC Servant, uh, or Facebook, or all that other fun stuff. We'll go over it again during the, during the closing uh, 
uh, credentials. I always mention all of the ways you can get a hold of us. Yeah. So uh, anything else new and exciting for you? What are you doing with your month off? Uh, Do you have pl- big plans? Uh, not really. Um, working on a review game, which I can't say because it's embargoed. Uh, I also did just get out a review of Dead Island Riptide. Which was I proofread um, that, so I know about the game. Yes, you did. This is true. Um, which had its moments, but overall was just on the negative side. Um, uh, I suggest reading that review because um, you know it, it, it might actually be a game you like. You know, this is not like a Mugen Souls case where <laughs> um, I'm hoping my review completely deters anyone from. Uh, Wanting to buy this game, uh, this is a case who, who might easily suffer motion sickness. Yeah, yes, this is true. Um, if you are prone to motion sickness, uh, do not touch this game. If not, read the review. Um, see if the issues are something you can deal with. Because um, despite kind of a boring early part, it ends really well and um, has some really great moments for a zombie game. So you know, it's kind of like kind of like one of those experiences where you can there's a lot you really did not like um but you can see where how this was almost a really good game and there's definitely some moments worth experiencing so i would definitely say suggest people read that one uh you know more than some other ones read the whole thing instead of just looking at the score because the score which is a 2.5 doesn't really tell the whole story sure no absolutely and yeah. um... you know uh, you know i think there's some cases where you know, like Mugen Souls, you look at the score, and although I'd like you to read all the th- many different things that are wrong with it, um, the one out of five would probably be enough for a lot of people. <laughs> Except for the occasional people who tried to argue with you and say that it didn't deserve that. Yeah. Yes, yes. And um, considering, I think did, I may have gotten that review out. Um, trying to remember if I got that out before release. Um, but the, uh, probably arguing, I'm just going to say, probably arguing with some people who hadn't played through the whole game. Just like people are, well, people aren't really saying that Time and Eternity might, in fact, be better than it's, yeah, be a good game. Hey, you yeah. know what, I think I just got a question already. I can answer this one on the air. Uh, dear Phil, um, is it is it a valid uh, way to review a game by watching YouTube videos and making quick assumptions? <laughs> you know what? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, the, the gaming review industry for a long time has totally accepted uh, the idea that their reviewers can really don't need to play games anymore. They just can just go to YouTube, watch a couple of 10-minute clips, and they're, they're ready to go. Yeah, just but, putting that you know, out there. If if I can get on a soapbox just for a minute here, sure. Uh, this is re- this is kind of something about gaming culture of late that really annoys me. It's kind of the um, extreme reactions one way or another to reviews. Either you know high review, uh, people think you're overrating it. Low, people think you're hard, or you know what whatever the reason. People don't. The gaming community seems to have forgotten that a review is an opinion. And backed of up. What, of what? Yes, of what one person experienced. Like um, you may like Mugen Souls more than I, but that That's is my difficult. That is my experience with that game. That is the number that I assign to that experience. And you know, if, if you want to disagree with arguments in in the review, great. I'd love to have that discussion. I you may see this sometimes on the reviews. I love discussing these games that I just reviewed, arguing about them. That's great. Um, but you know, kind of 
these ridiculous you were too harsh etc cetera, etc cetera. um you know we really got to get away from that because it's just ridiculous you know a review a review is someone's opinion is all i'm saying and you know if you disagree with it that's great but don't try and invalidate someone's opinion as i guess is i guess what the point i'm getting to you know if you want to say if you want to disagree with the arguments they make in there that's one thing but saying you know kind of dismissing reviews is something that has really annoyed me of late uh, i hope uh, that point makes sense nathan sorry so I just want to say, I'm just not really seeing the difference there. What do you mean? I don't know. What's the boundary between you think is right and what's not? I mean, you say you know you think you say like it's wrong to say that review is too harsh, but you say you want disagreement. You're okay with disagreement, so I'm just. Yeah, uh, let, let me let me specify a little bit here. It's like um, if somebody if this is somebody a game somebody's anticipating and they're really expecting this game to be good and they see this. I think it's more to people making those arguments not having played the game yet or just wanting the game to be good or you know, do you know what I mean? Uh, maybe. Um, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of interesting when you see one of our staff members writes a review and then somebody vehemently disagrees with it when they haven't actually played it yet. Yeah, this this see this 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 is what I'm trying to get to. I think that people um gamers inherently have a very negative opinion of reviewers and want to find something to jump on their backs. Uh, admittedly this for. is justifiable. There's far too many bad reviewers. In the oh game. no, I I I I, 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 I thought that RP Gamer has such a good reviewing team overall that I mean we definitely could be faster with reviewing sadly, but I mean you could definitely yeah. say I really you like can, the of completing games. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I would love to be able to review things after only playing them for five hours, but that would most likely lead me to a lot of things where I'd have to say to people who complain about it, uh, I, I didn't experience that. I mean, it's one thing for somebody to say, you know, after reading a number of, of uh, reviewers' reviews and playing the games themselves, they're like, oh, that guy's a bad reviewer. I don't agree with them. You know, that's all subjective and that's your opinion. That's fine and dandy. And you can make those statements and not sound stupid. But when someone reviews a game that you've never played before and you're like, you know, reviewer, you're totally dumb. I don't see how you can come to these conclusions. You haven't even touched the, the game. The only way you are ever <laughs> going to 100% agree with someone's reviews is if you write them, most likely. But you just because- – <laughs> So you true. take two different people, you will they will disagree. That that's just how people and work. That's I don't okay. care if you're married to each other. We know this from Phil and Shirley occasionally. They have disagreements. But that's okay. People disagree with each other. Right, right, right. But that's okay when you've actually have played the game. Like yeah. if Shirley says Shirley says, Um, Phil, I just love sushi. You know, you should try it. And I say, I I don't like sushi. Her first question is, Have you ever tried it? And if all I say is, No, I just hate it. It's it, it looks bad, <laughs> it looks terrible. You haven't that's even tasted it. Five year old's answer. Yeah. Yeah. It, looks, yeah, it looks bad. Well, that's Yuck. what that's what these these guys are doing when our reviewers say, "Hey, this game is bad," and they're like, "No, it's good." And you're like, "Okay, have you played it?" Well, no, but yeah. I saw this YouTube video. <laughs> yeah, like, like, I guess this would be better to use an example, and we'll go back to Mijan Souls for this, since it's uh, my favorite game to hate on. Um, but one of the negatives I put for that review was too much grinding, and you know, obviously, some of the reaction to that was, "Oh, but." 
you know, grinding isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, these games, that's what these games do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. To which I often had to respond, you know, if you read the review, I go into further detail as to why that's bad. So, you know, it's not necessarily criticism, criticism of the review that reviews that I'm complaining about. It's just kind of almost criticism for criticism's sake instead of saying, hey, you know, I played this and you know, here's why I disagree with you. You know, if, if you want to, if you want to bash on review, go ahead, just back it up. And I don't think that's, I don't think a lot of people do, you know, it's kind of just the knee jerk reaction instead of I've played this too. And I disagree. And here's why. I think we just heard Shirley. Hmm. Well, yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And it's, but it's okay to have, yeah, it's, it's okay to have an opinions and stuff. Um, and that's why, you know, I think when we were having that Final Fantasy fifteen discussion on forums, I was like, look, I'm not saying I like or don't like, you know, the, you can't know until you play it. Yeah, you know? it, it's it's just all about respecting other people's opinions. And, you know, when we get – that's often hard to do on the internet because, you know, there's lots of heated discussions and, you know. Um, I will say this. Our forumers are much better than YouTube commenters. Oh, yes. Our, oh, God, yes. <laughs> Uh, you know, for, for yeah, most... but are they as good as IGN commenters? <laughs> Having never looked at IGN commenters, I couldn't tell you. What can you tell me about them, Phil? <laughs> OMG, it is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I, I've had some heated discussions. Uh, all right, sounds, sounds like Nathan's and... going to bed, so let's wish him a good night. Good night, Nathan. Good night, Nathan. Good night. Good night. You know, on the whole, on the whole, I'd say our forums are really good. I've had some really good discussions with them. Hey, hey, can I can I interject here? Now that Nathan's yes, gone, now that Nathan's gone, I want y'all to know I was right and he was wrong about Soul Nomad. <laughs> just putting that out there, just saying. Okay, go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, I just I don't want to make it sound like I'm bashing on people that come in and you know bash the review. I'm just saying, you know, yeah. It, Play the game. If if you disagree, play the game. Play it as much as the reviewer does, and then come back and argue. And I would love to argue with you and discuss. And you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll even change my mind in some cases. You know, it, it's you know, and and sometimes maybe reviewers make mistakes too. You know, you, you just no, I just wish people wouldn't come in with so much venom. I wish people yeah. would just come in more kind of with an open mind to discuss a game and. I love discussing a game I just reviewed because it's fresh on my mind. And, you know, if you look, just look look at the uh, Deadline and Riptide review, and we've already had a pretty good discussion on the forum there, although I would, just I would also between like a few of us. One, one related topic here, which is agreeing with the review and finding that the review answers pretty much all of your questions while still disagreeing with its, uh, with its conclusions is, is a good thing to do. Disagreeing Absolutely. with the review and... Saying that it has that it contains nothing worthwhile simply because its conclusions are not your own is at the very least questionable and very difficult to justify and probably a lot more. Hmm. And well, it's not directly related, but uh, remember Roger Ebert, the guy who just died a few months ago. Of course, he, the guy wrote over ten thousand reviews, and in all of those reviews, he wrote he came up with some goofy opinions like Die Hard, two stars. He really did give Die Hard two stars, but you know what? The man wrote good reviews, and even when I disagreed with him, he was fun to read. And that's really what a reviewer can aspire to, being interesting to read even if you don't agree. Exactly. 
Exactly. And, you know, that, that's, this is why the internet is so great, is you can go around and find lots of different opinions about a game and, you know, get combine those to get a sense of whether or not this is something you want to play. You know, it's a great resource. Um, but, you know, I, obviously I think... What is factored into this a lot is the use of numbered scores, which you know has caused lots of issues mm-hmm, with Metacritic mm-hmm. and all that non- all that nonsense. And you know, I I still think there is some a good a good reason to have us like a numbered score. Um, I just wish that kind of all the chaos around that didn't come to pass. You know, it would be but, nice if numbered scores synced up between sites. Yes, that too. That's that's one of the big issues, for sure. You know, like, when I give a game a 3 out of 5, uh, what does that convert to? Uh, it like shows 60%? like 60 on meta. Yeah. yeah, which doesn't necessarily sync up with what a 60% is on from, other say, uh, GameSpot. What, what is that, a 6 out of 10? You, yeah. you don't get that very often. That's for crap. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like um, trying to think of the game I gave a three out of five. Uh, Here's a ruin for for a 3DS, a fun little dungeon crawler that didn't quite do a lot. But you know, if we were reviewing on that scale, it's not something I would have given a six out of ten. So uh, very frustrating. Uh, but I have definitely rambled on for too long. All I'm asking for is respect reviewers' opinions and come in with an open mind to have a good discussion. That's all I'm asking. I'm not saying that you know anyone that comes in and hates on a review is necessarily uh, bad because it's something that's kind of become commonplace and you know everybody's doing it. So I'm not going to blame any one person for doing it. But no, but you re- could go. You could go with what your parents always said: just because everyone else is jumping off a cliff, does that mean you're going to? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, if you think I'm wrong about a game, come into the thread after I post the review. We'll talk it out. I think another. That's all I'm asking for. I think another thing that for people to keep in mind, and we'll wrap up with this, but I think another thing to keep in mind is. People need to understand the difference between objective statements and subjective statements, fact and opinion. And I, yes. I think that's a you know that's a big thing. If the reviewer says you know the graphics were were poor, well that that's his opinion. You really can't argue that. We're all going to have a different opinion on what's appealing to us. But if he says you know the 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 the, the graphics were 2D, well that's a factual statement. And it's, you know he's making an objective statement, and that's very easy to prove or disprove. Um, you know the character's hair was was yellow. No, it was red. It's right there on the screenshot. You know so <laughs> those are the things you can you can definitely you know call in a, in a review out on and a lot of times when i'm trying to determine whether or not i want to follow a reviewer i'm kind of looking at the facts that's that's in his review is he backing up his subjective statement and supporting it with objective statements that i can easily uh verify uh, that that's a good review. Uh, so uh, you know, no, learn to discern those. Even if you don't agree with his subjective conclusion, hopefully his review has a lot of objective facts that you can weigh on the scale for yourself. And you know, for you, the graphics, you know, whether or not it's a 2D or 3D may not be as important. So when he says the graphics are poor, well, when he's supporting it that with the fact that it's a 2D graphics, then you're like, well, you know, what? 2D graphics are good for me. So I'll agree to disagree with him about his subjective statement that he felt they were poor. Yeah. So, uh, but yes, I. I 
I understand your pain apps. I did reviewing for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, not too many people disagree with me with the bad scores I gave out for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> anyway. Uh, I did you review the Dark Spire? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. No, what was – what is the – there was some other DS game Do- too. Doki Pond, Dark Abyss. Spire, From the Abyss. Where do we start? From the Abyss. I mean, where does it end? Where does the insanity end? It just does Yes. It. Do remember well, reviewed Order of Ecclesia. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, Order of Ecclesia. I gave a good score. Uh, that's a yeah, legitimately a, a fun game. Yeah, it's 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 fun. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Uh, we talked about that on the Castlevania backtrack, but I can't recommend uh, those DS Castlevania games enough. But Order of Ecclesia uh, definitely tickled uh, tickled my uh, happy bones. So, any anything else on your uh, my Mister Apps? Um. <laughs> No, I've been playing a lot of a new Naughty Dog game, not named The Last of Us. Not I guess. The, the Jack and Daxter collection on Vita, and that's been an interesting kind of uh, games I missed experience. So, you know, those are fun. I'm enjoying that. You know, I haven't gotten to those because, I mean, during that whole era, I didn't, I'm not much of an action platform person. So at the end of the PlayStation 2 life cycle, when a lot of that was on, you know, super sales and drop prices and such, um, I, I started reviewing, you know, looking at the reviews for those. And I ultimately fell towards the Ratchet and Clank series. And I absolutely adored it to death. And I went back and read a Jackson Daxter. And uh, I don't know, it didn't seem like it hit the same notes. To, how are you enjoying them? Yeah, like the the first one is obviously kind of like a uh, I want to say Nintendo sixty four era collectathon game where you're going into levels and completing multiple challenges in the same levels, getting items, uh, you know, eventually building up to different totals to advance to other areas and whatnot. So it's kind of like that classic styled platformer that's um uh other than a few vehicle segments i didn't like uh is definitely some great platforming whereas jack 2 is kind of weird in that it feels like the developers played a lot of gta 3 and were kind of like hey let's do that and but it's it's still a really good game it's just a drastic departure from the first one hmm cool but yeah so yeah i'm playing that and uh i think the Ratchet and Clank, Clank collection is coming to Vita as well, so I will plan on going back to that as well to finish all the platformers I missed in the PS2 days. Yeah, I mean the Ratchet and Clank games on the PSP are okay, but uh, but the PS2 uh, no, ones are the bomb. Yeah, that's what the uh, the collection on Vita will be. Yeah, They're and I've got the recording that collection of the first three PS2 games. Yeah, though I, I don't know why they keep leaving out Dread Deadlocked because I know it's not the best received one, but I enjoy it hell out of that one too um well you know that's on psn now right yeah 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 and i think it's and i think it's free for certain members or something i don't know if it's a ps plus if, thing or if you ordered something you, in the past yeah if you bought um full frontal assault oh yes the, it's the, the apology so yeah yes it's the apology for free. for free yeah don't get me yeah. so boys and girls <laughs> i'm the ratchet and clink fanatic um i'm telling you yeah full frontal assault yeah it's an assault on you go back and play <laughs> go back it's it's uh, yeah it's an assault on your sensibilities uh, as a gamer go back and play the original ratchet and clanks uh, you can get the hd games now as a collection 
minus uh, minus deadlocked. You can just play those first three and then decide whether or not you want to pick up uh, deadlock as a result because it's basically more the same, though it, it doesn't have uh, as much story and it definitely doesn't have the exploration and some of the platforming. It's basically nonstop killing, uh, which is which for me was my favorite part of the game. I actually was not a big fan of the platforming uh, elements uh, as much as I was uh, using all the different Mega Man style wacky weapons, mm. and uh, that's what I really like about that series. Number the first one focuses more on the platforming, and then with the second and third one, they de-emphasize that platforming a little bit more with each one and focus more on just killing stuff. And in fact, I think the second or third one introduces this these arenas where you can just go through wave after wave, just earning bolts and experience um, to upgrade your weapons. And and I just enjoyed that. I mean, fifty waves of non-stop robot slaying that just every time one of these guys dying, Ratchet and Clank bolts spring up from their guts. It was awesome. It was great. It's just, it's such a great, and then you collect them all. It's like a morphine drip. It just, you just can't stop once you get started. So, <laughs> yeah. That was one of those instances where adding some RPG mechanics made the game feel better. Uh, as you, at, well, I don't like the fact that you level up in the later games, you get more hit points. Whoopie doo. Because the enemies just hit harder. And as we talked before, that doesn't really add to the game. It just causes number inflation. Yeah. But, but the weapons, uh, as your weapons, you use them more. They have their own experience bars and levels. And as they upgrade in levels, they will have new abilities and the such. Or you can modify them more. Or they'll, you know, they'll do more damage. But usually the fact that they can do different attacks and, and, and upgrade in different ways gives gives you more more tactical considerations you can use in the battlefield in the heat of the moment when you're switching things out real fast. Again, it's kind of got that Mega Man feel to it and using the right weapon for the right job. But unlike Mega Man where it just felt like a, a lot of enemies arbitrarily had weaknesses to certain weapons, in Ratchet and Clank, you know, you're going to use this weapon because it's just faster and it hits moving targets better, but you'll use this other weapon because it, the, the the reasons are more logical. They feel less arbitrary. Why a weapon is better against it. It's not like this weapon's going to do double damage against red robots. You know, whereas like it was in Mega Man where, oh, my fire weapon does more damage against wood robots. <laughs> now, you know, but but you will pull out the needle gun against fast-moving enemies, you know, and you'll switch and you'll mix them up and you have to watch your ammunition. You have to mix them on the fly. And so leveling up your weapons and how you level them up also becomes part of the strategy of playing a game. It's a lot. of, and, it, and the later games still do do have the collectibles if you're into that sort of thing. Um, you can platform a lot around and look for the hidden nooks and find the golden bolts that can unlock uh, other upgrades or uh, mega weapons and stuff. And the sense of humor in that game is just so hilarious. I digress. I'm sorry. I mean, it's steal your spotlight. It's okay. Yeah, so that's all. I just, I, just love, I just love Ratchet and Clank so much. Once you get me started... It's to me. It's like the modern day Mega Man. It's awesome. Did you play Mega Man, Mike? I played Mega Man X. So I didn't play any original Mega Mans, but I played the X ones, all three on Super Nintendo, X four, and I have X five, and I totally need to play that. But uh, I've kind of cooled from the point at which I was just gonzo for Mega Man X. So if you have a copy of Command Mission and you want to send that to me, I will gladly play that. I. I can't remember if I got rid of it or not. I'll have to look. I've, okay. I have a copy of Command Mission I can send you. He does. Is it is it on PS2 or GameCube? PS2. Okay. I actually have both versions. The extra ones on PS2. Hmm. There we go. PS2 Mega Man Command Mission ready to go. Mr. Uh, Miki, do you have anything? Well, I'll I'll keep this fast because I'm under a time limit here, but. Not a couple of weeks ago, I put up a review of Tengai Makyo 2 Manjimaru, 
people who have listened to the backtracks remember me praising Tengai Makyo Zero, Tengai Makyo Four, The Apocalypse, and Tengai Makyo Three Namida. Well, this one has its good points, but it is definitely a relic of 1992. And that means you get to spend long, long periods going around grinding against enemies that are tough enough that you're probably going to need to heal in the fight, even. And you need to go grind for cash. And the enemies... I'll give this game a first here. I've rarely found enemies that are so dodge-worthy. Half the, almost half the attacks you launch against later enemies seem to miss for no apparent reason. So if you like that, you're going to love it. And it, it has amusing moments. There's a, a nice bit when um, one of your characters uses two mystical ropes to attach to an island and physically drags the island up onto the continent. There's the the Kabuki and Kikugoro duel of turning into things, which seems to be borrowed from Disney's version of the Sword and the Stone. There's the ability that you get to fly a gigantic fortress through the entire land of Japan. There's the goofy guy, Hotemaru, who speaks broken Japanese, which means you actually might be able to understand some of it, since he throws a whole bunch of English words in there, broken, of course. But the game as a whole is just, it takes a long time, and a lot of that is going to be spent with unhappy grinding. And I know I should have put up a review of Lugaya 2 by now, but honestly, I've I haven't been able to put all of my energy into it for a little while, but I'm coming close. I I hope to have a review up for that pretty soon because it's honestly not – it doesn't deserve to be forgotten. It does some very interesting things that we'll talk about in the future on Backtrack. It's not terribly memorable, but I'm, I'm liking it more than the reception it got at the time would seem to indicate, and most especially the sales reception. It sold pitifully. Whereas things that are much, much worse have sold much higher copies. And, uh, well, I can't really justify that. Um, okay, Phil, did you see Man of Steel? Uh, no, no. I saw a lot of positive reviews for it, but uh, I generally don't rush out to, to, to see superhero movies okay. anymore unless well, okay. someone's dying to go with me. Well, all right. Uh, you know about the character of Superman. I've heard of him. <laughs> Does it sound like Superman if I say that the final confrontation takes place in Metropolis while both of them are smacking each other through populated areas repeatedly with many, many civilian casualties? Uh, I mean, Superman's typical M.O. was to, you know, get out to, uh, to a, a non, uh, non-populated area to right, try to, right. pull that, to pull that enemy away to a non-populated area. Which makes it – it doesn't really feel like Superman if he's gleefully smacking the guy through skyscrapers and they're both heedless of however many people are being killed around them. Unless, of course, he managed to get a full-scale evacuation on beforehand. Then he's okay with some no, property damage. That, that is very clearly not what happened. <laughs> well, I would say he's kind of sleeping at the wheel then. Uh, I, I don't know. Could be people inside those buildings, just just saying. There are. Do they get smashed really good? Do you see them, like, get smashed by bad guys? It's PG-13, Phil. We don't get that. I want to see blood. Well, maybe the director's cut will put in a whole bunch of digitized blood with your unrated edition. I don't know. Uh, I'll hold off on other things until next time, because I am under kind of a time constraint here. But, uh, actually, yeah, I kind of need to get going. So I will... I will say good night, everybody. Alrighty. Well, take care. Good night. Always good having uh, having you on. And we'll be back for Akira Toriyama and his character Shadows. <laughs> You're right. Yay, poop monsters. <laughs> Don't.
don't let that idea go yep. right now. We, we, we'll want to elaborate on that in a few weeks' time, I'm sure. Okay, good night. Good night. Uh, so, as for as for me, um, as I kind of alluded to earlier, I've been playing uh, quite a bit of World of Warcraft and just working my way through the Pandarian quest while doing the scenarios for extra valor points or whatever the heck they're called uh, to level up my gear and stuff. And that's been pretty fun. And I've been enjoying being able to play with my other friends on other servers. Just been exploring all of that. Uh, kind of cool things about MMOs is you can kind of... Um, uh, is you really don't have this instruction manual that explains everything to you in the game. World of Warcraft is pretty easy to play, but there's all kinds of secrets and systems and stuff that you wouldn't even know about unless you read it on a blog somewhere or a friend told you about it. And then having some of those conversations is kind of cool. That's kind of part of the experience when you're talking to a friend and, and you're like, yeah, I want to, like, I think one conversation we were having was like, yeah, you know, I didn't do the Wrath of the Lich King, but maybe you could run the dungeon through with me so I can see the ending of that expansion. Yeah, and he's like, oh, well, you can just fly into Dalaran, the capital city there, click on the statue and automatically plays you the cinematic. Oh, you know, it's just cool stuff like that. You would have never known. And that was pretty cool. And then I share that with my friends. And they're like, really? And that's, you know, that that's all pretty awesome. Um, so, uh, so I've been kind of uh, doing that. Just really kind of enjoy it. And if any of y'all are playing World of Warcraft, you can add my battle tag is JC Servant number sixteen seventeen. If I remember correctly, you can Twitter me and I can give it to you. Tweet me or whatever the heck it's called. But uh, just been having a lot of fun with that. I'm also uh, playing a game, a very old game uh, that I'm talking about on the boards. If you want a sneak peek, otherwise you get to wait for our hundredth episode. Um, you know, an RPG backtrack every once in a while. We, the host, like to go back and play. Old game so we can actually talk about it intelligently. And um, some of the toughest games to talk about intelligently, since Mr. Apps here was talking about, hey, you really need to play a game before you smack talk it. Or before Absolutely. you smack talk the review or smack talk the game. You, you know, you, you owe it to the creators of the game, uh, to the reviewers who put the time in the reviews and stuff like that, to experience it for yourself before you start giving strong opinions and, and making statements that you consider in fact. So um, I am uh, one of the hardest games to, genres to do that with is with MMOs because in order to give uh, accurate assessment of an MMO and have good, well-founded opinions, you've got to put a crap load of time into these things. So I've given myself three months on a MMO that is older. I've always, in fact, you know, you guys just heard me do it uh, when I talked about World of Warcraft, and I said, you know, why it was better than other MMOs. How would I know when I didn't play any of the older MMOs, huh? You know, so I'm actually playing an older MMO that uh, that my wife likes a whole lot to give her the benefit that I've watched her play it for a long time. And I'm like, man, that looks boring as hell. What? Are you playing EverQuest? No, it's older than EverQuest. Oh, no. You are. Please tell me you are not. You are not playing Ultima Online. I am. You? Oh, my God. This game, this game is like using isometric 2D graphics that, if you're using the original client, look like they were lifted straight off the Nintendo, you know, Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64 era. <laughs> Just, it's, it's, it's that awesome. Um, and, uh, oh man, gosh, uh. Uh, yeah, yeah. you know, maybe I should just kind of talk about this a uh, little bit each show rather than dumping it all on show 100. No, I'll just say 100. So, yes, I'm going to we're gonna, I'm gonna get really – they're going to talk about – well, we got a really great game lined up for the 100th episode for the main event. But I'm going to do uh, – I'm going to do something outside the box and uh, do a thorough 
talking of a, of an MMO that is still being played to this day, but is older <laughs> than all of them. So crazy, and it's you know what you know how we're always talking about how the MMO subscription model is going away. That World of Warcraft is one of the you know only holdouts on this idea that you got to pay a monthly fee. Nope, Ultima Online still doing it. <laughs> Yeah, people are paying twelve bucks a month, man. To, yeah, yeah, it's great. So well, I, th- I think Final Fantasy fourteen is going to be doing that at least initially. Oh, geez, God bless them. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we'll. Uh, I'll continue to play that. I, you know, I need to put up another impression on. Uh, I've been putting my impressions up on the uh, the forums, so you can read more there for more details. If you don't want to wait to the hundredth episode, uh, not to mention I'm going to have some details on there that I'm obviously not going to have the time to go into when we do talk about it on the show. So you can find out more details there. Otherwise, of course, if you just want the Reader's Digest version, you know, I'm sure I'll be going over that soon. Okay, so I've been playing a lot of that, a lot of World of Warcraft. That doesn't really leave a lot of time for anything else, does it? I'm going to PaizoCon, as I mentioned before. I'm going there in a couple of weeks. So if any of you are... Actually, now it's less It's less than two weeks. Gosh, it's only... We'll, be dri- we'll start the drive in about a week from now. So, <laughs> I'm driving there on July the 4th. Uh, I've got a dinner there with other regional coordinators and, uh, and one of the Paizo staff members who's in charge of uh, Pathfinder Society Organized Play. So I'll be uh, uh, eating with them and then uh, starting Friday, it's a three-day non-stop gaming. <laughs> so if any of you are going to PaizoCon, a lot of exciting things going on there. That's where – I mean PaizoCon is uh, – for those who don't know, uh, Paizo makes Pathfinder, Soci- uh, Pathfinder and Pathfinder Society organized play. And they, uh, they, their PaizoCon is where they basically celebrate that. And there's a lot of gaming going on. There's a lot of people from the company who do a lot of panels and discussions and taking questions. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, of people outside of Paizo that are in the industry who uh, do panels there and set up tables and all kinds of exciting convention stuff that you expect to see in conventions. So all of that and a lot, lot more. So I'm super excited and stoked. Um, and I'll be blogging about that, uh, twitching or easy, I don't know what they call it, tweeting, twitching, whatever they call these things. I'll be doing a lot of that social media <laughs> stuff while I'm gone. So if you're interested, just give me a shout out on Twitter and I'll give you the givings. And I think that's just about it. Oh, oh, on, I, I don't really like iPad gaming a whole lot or handheld, uh, yeah, I, I sound like a certain summon forms. Um, I don't like, um. I'm not a big, huge fan of the games that typically come on Android and iOS. I, I think, as I mentioned in a forum post, I think that plat- those platforms are still in their infancy. Their games feel a lot like Atari games to me. They're, you know, they don't have much staying value. They don't have a lot of depth. But occasionally, there's some, there, there's some really good gems on there. Depending on what you're into, being a strategy person and stuff, I tend to gravitate towards some of the tower defense games. Uh, and those can be a very varying qualities to really bad to uh, some really good ones. And ones that's really got me hooked is Kingdom Rush and it's it's pseudo sequel Kingdom Rush Frontiers. I have been playing. I have probably put more time into that five dollar game than I have many forty and fifty dollar games. So it's a it's a tower defense game with a lot of character, a lot of charm. It's it's fantasy themed. Uh, you'll have towers, uh, you know, with dwarves uh, run by dwarves and elves and the such. Uh, but that's uh, you know, but it's definitely a, a tower defense game. You do have a hero who gains experience and that levels up and that helps out in the fights. And you can uh, it comes with three of the heroes for free. Uh, the game I think is like five bucks, but there are in-app purchases to unlock other heroes. But that is totally unnecessary. You can totally complete the game with just the default three heroes, and you'd only want to buy the other ones if you just want some more variety. So you don't have to pay to win or anything like that there's uh it also there's also these things called gems which you can use to purchase one time or uh consumable lines i should say that 
that can that can definitely swing swing the battles in your favor at times. Uh, but you can earn those gems uh, through gameplay, and I haven't really used hardly any of them to to get to where I'm at right now, and I'm almost done with it. Absolutely fun game, uh, Kingdom Rush and Kingdom Rush Frontiers. Mm-hmm. If you're into tower defense, well worth your dollar. And um, I, I want to say I've played a lot of good tower defense games up, but I want to say it's my number one tower. I mean, I I can definitely say I put more time into that than than a lot of the other ones I played. So. More time than Ratchet and Clank's tower defense game? Oh my gosh! Yeah, Ratchet and Clank, man. Gosh dang! I think I think yeah. Just talk about that for just a tiny second. As a Ratchet and what was it called? In Ratchet and Clank. Full frontal assault. Full frontal assault. So what they try to do is kind of combine the platforming, shooting, Mega Man type of action of a typical Ratchet and Clank game with some tower defense elements. You're going from planet to planet where you have a home, uh, basically a home base that has to be defended against wave of enemies that are incoming. Uh, you can build you can build some towers up at the entrance of your base to uh, dissuade those enemies from um, uh, from damaging your cores that are in the middle or whatever they're called. And um, uh, the game's just got major balance balance issues. Um, what will happen too, and I forgot to mention this, is um, is after a wave hits your base and you. You run um, uh, uh, let me start. Okay, so a wave hits your base. You've got usually two to five minutes before the next wave hits. So you're supposed to go out there, explore, destroy, um, and co- get through. You get trying to work your way through the other enemy base. It's almost kind of set up like you know a typical ratchet and clank platformer at that point. Except the enemy's pretty well trenched in, so you got to chip away at it. Uh, but yeah, and then then suddenly you get that message. Oh, something else is about to attack your base. You better get back, and you better get back fast. Um, so you kind of get rubber banded back and forth, and you kind of feel like you're being torn in those two different directions. Because the fact of the matter is, the defenses that you plant your base are never strong enough to take care of the enemies on their own. And um, because of the balancing issues, half the time when you're there helping, it's not strong enough. <laughs> so that kind of sucks. Um, but yeah, that's... Um, that is, uh, yeah, it's just got a lot of balance issues. I played it all the way to the last board, so I have played it. I'm not just talking out of, yeah. Um, but I think I got to the next last board or last board, and the balance issues just keep slapping me upside the head. I mean, just some really, really strong, powerful ways, and I got all my weapons upgraded, and I've got, and that's the other thing, too. When your towers get destroyed, there there's very limited resources on the board. So when your towers get destroyed, it's prohibitively expensive to, to rebuild them. You can repair them as well uh, when you get a break. Um, and even that's you know pretty expensive, and heaven forbid they get destroyed, because man, you just got to open up your pocketbook. Uh, but uh, you, and I think you use that currency for something else, maybe upgrading your weapons or buying stuff from time to time. So yeah, that's part of the balance issues. You just can't rebuild those towers fast enough. So kind of frustrating, just hmm. just a little. I mean, they're they're trying to find the next direction for Ratchet and Clank, but let me give them a hint. You know, tower defense, popular little genre these days, not the right direction for Ratchet and Clank. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, well, I think that's about it. Uh, nothing else is really kind of coming to my mind. So I think we're ready to uh, call it a day or a night or whatever. Uh, Mr. Apps, thank you for hanging out with us this long. Not a problem. Always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, remember, send your questions to me or my somebody. Ask us some questions so we, yeah. can, so we can do an official Q&A of some sort. Ask, ask questions somewhere and we'll get them into Q&A. Yeah, questions. Um, cool. So uh, let's go ahead and do this. Uh, RP Gamer is RP Gamer. RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, your source for news, reviews, and home to the best gaming community on the net. 
So uh, feel free to uh, go to our forums at rpgamer.com. Click on the little forum link that's there on the left-hand side. Leave your questions or comments there. Or you can email jcservant at cyberlightcomics.com. Uh, Twitter me at twitter.com forward slash jcservant or facebook.com forward slash jcservant. And... Um, yeah, leave us uh, leave us your questions. Help shape our future shows. Uh, you can also uh, follow us at facebook.com slash rpgamer and twitter.com slash rpgamer. As always, you can listen to our vast library as we quickly cl- close in on the centennial mark. You can listen to all of our previous podcasts there at rpgamer.com as well as our awesome sister show, the RPG Cast. It's all there for you, waiting for you. So on behalf of uh, Mr. Mike Minky, who uh, who really is instrumental in putting this together, uh, Mr. Raps and Mr. Uh, Nathan, who is right about all things except for Soul Nomad. Um, oh, no, I'm just kidding. A lot of people loved it. I'm just a weird apple. Really, seriously, if you go look at the reviews, <laughs> a lot of people loved it. Um, but anyways, uh, thank you for listening to RPG Backtrack, and I uh, thank all of them for helping out and making this show happen. And everybody have a great good night. 